When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk from Nathan Baird's lovely home at. I was going to give the address. You don't want to hear the address. <laughs> Nathan's like, no! We're doing it here. He has a podcast table. I think when you look for this apartment, you look specifically for an apartment with a. It's not an apartment, it's a home with a podcast studio. Is that correct? It, well, or at least one something that we could reconfigure as a podcast studio, because every apartment in 2019, every every dwelling in 2019 needs podcasting. It needs to be podcast capable. Yes, podcast, podcast ready. Yes. So we're going to do that, and we're doing something else here on Buckeye Talk. We're going to hit you right off the bat with five things happening with Ohio State football. Quick hits to wet your beak, and then we'll get into the usual nonsense and shenanigans. First up... How big is this Ohio State-Nebraska game on Saturday night in Lincoln? Nebraska was picked in the preseason poll at Cleveland.com as the favorite in the West. This is a put-up-and-shut-up, put-up-or-shut-up, where-is-Nebraska-as-a-program kind of game for Scott Frost in year two. Year two is a, a move year for a lot of programs. You don't have to be all the way there, but you have to show where you're going. And so, of course, it's important for Ohio State. I think ideally when Nebraska was got brought into the Big Ten, Nebraska is the Ohio State of the West Division. It has, it's the, the school in a state. It has that kind of feel in the stadium, in the town, in the capital city. There's a lot of similarities here. And this is a big moment for Nebraska to rise up in a way that it hasn't risen up so far. So there's a lot of stake for Ohio State, but there's a lot of st- at stake for Nebraska. They don't have to win, but I think they definitely have to show up. What, Nathan, are the potential playoff implications in this game for both Ohio State and the Big Ten in general? Well, for Ohio State, they're not critical because, as they've seen, you can lose a game, you can lose a non-conference, you can lose to an unranked team, you can even sometimes lose that game at home. It happened to them in 2014. It's happened to some other teams. Lose to an unranked team and still come back and make the playoffs even win a national championship. What it does do, though, if you lose is take away any margin for error the rest of the way. You cannot lose to any of the better teams on your schedule. You can't lose to Wisconsin. You can't lose the Big Ten Championship game if you get there. You can't lose to Michigan because no two team, no two loss team has ever made the playoffs. So it's, it's not a game that Ohio State absolutely has to win. It doesn't kill their chances of making the playoffs. But it makes it a ton harder because you just cannot slip up from that point on. Do you think they have to not get blown out, though, given the evidence of the past two years? If they Perhaps. do lose, they have to play close? Perhaps, but again, it's it's early enough in the season that you can change the narrative if you were to then come back and whip up on Michigan State, which is ranked now. If you beat Wisconsin handily, maybe if you beat them twice, including a Big Ten championship game. you have This is early enough. We're only week five. 
uh, week four or week five. Yeah, it is early enough that you can repair your um, resume as it stands. I will say there have been times in the past when we thought it was early for Ohio State and they never could crawl back out of the hole. I think it's possible both teams need this game to be close no matter which way it goes for two of the reasons we've stated so far. Third on our list, Justin Fields as a Heisman candidate, Stephen Means. Is he legitimately in this early season mix? And what does he have to show to national voters that he belongs up there with Tua and Trevor Lawrence and Jalen Hurts and everybody else? Yeah, so of the guys who have thrown at least 10 touchdown passes already this season, Oregon's uh, Justin Herbert and Alabama's Tua and Justin Fields. None of them have a sack yet. Those are the only guys who have thrown at least 10 touchdown passes and don't have a sack yet which is pretty impressive. Justin Fields' numbers through the first four games are really, really impressive. They're actually Heisman-level numbers, but then you look at the level of competition and you go, okay, yeah, that actually makes sense that he's doing that against those type of teams. This is the first time he's going to face a team and he's going to be in a situation where this is, I think, can be a Heisman moment for him where if he ends up being a finalist and is in New York at the end of the season, this is one of the games we can look back on as why. It's a night game, prime time. And it's, at, it's on the road against one of the teams we thought was going to be one of the better teams in the Big Ten West. Primetime on ESPN ideally shouldn't matter to voters, but it absolutely does. Because yeah. there are like 900 voters out there. I'm one of them. I'm dumb. If a game's on ESPN at night, that matters to me. Isaiah Pryor, no longer a Buckeye. Fourth on our list, Nathan Baird. What does that mean, the safety transferring from Ohio State? Well, it's just a depth hit for Ohio State. And it comes at a time where we don't know exactly what the status of Josh Proctor is. Um, obviously wasn't able to play last week. Um, we don't know his availability for this game against Nebraska. Now, Ohio State has not been using as many safeties this season. Um, it's been you know going with a one-high safety in the, the cover um cover one cover three I guess you'd say defense um and and that hasn't been as critical to have two guys on the field at all times but Isaiah Pryor was playing it's just one less guy a veteran guy a guy who has played real snaps for you that is no longer with the program that means someone else from this younger group of depth has to step up and and play a more significant role and I'm going to finish off with Scott Frost and Ryan Day Scott Frost in year two Ryan Day in year one, and they both fall into this category that I researched for a preseason story on Ryan Day. There are 17 Power 5 conference coaches, 17 of the 65 head coaches, who played quarterback along the way. Ryan Day and Scott Frost are two of them, and in a world where everybody wants an offensive genius, an offensive guru, a guy who can who can come up with some great new offensive game plan... Um, Ryan Day, I think, has done a good good job of that so far. Like, everybody wants the Sean McVay of the world, but Lincoln Riley falls in this category. Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Chris Peterson. Mike Gundy. Jim Harbaugh. Speaking of offensive genius, geniuses. <laughs> uh, Jimbo Fisher. Paul Christ at Wisconsin. Jeff Brom. James Franklin. There are actually a lot of these coaches in the Big Ten specifically who were quarterbacks. Again, Scott Frost. Jeff Brom showed it last year against Ohio State. Ryan Day needs to show it. He has. Scott Frost needs to show it. He has. To some degree, he needs to show it more. When they hire you as a quarterback and a play caller, they want a head coach who looks like he can come up with a great game plan for a big game like this. That's on the line for both of these guys. That's our quick hit five. We're going to try to start our podcast that way. And now let's talk about cheeseburgers for the next two hours. No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to Runs do Runzas. We're going to Nebraska. We have to talk about Runzas. Okay, can we actually... I am terrible. <laughs> There's a... We're, we're doing the... I can't lie to you guys. Maybe I'm too honest. 
We're supposed to do the five quick hit thing because it helps with a new Google search thing for podcasts. So we're all in on that because we want more people to listen to this because it's so good. But, and ideally, we just want to talk about Rundas for two hours. But Nathan made a point that I think Nathan is glad to have me be structured a little more with this early five-minute quick hit at the start. But... I've gotten a ton of text messages from people who are going to the Nebraska game and say, where should we eat? Where should we eat? I'm terrible about road trip eating because I eat at McDonald's and Chili's in every city I ever go to. But the enthusiasm in your voice about Runza's melts my heart because I love Runza's too. I have never – I've actually never had a Runza. Is it – Isn't that the place with the cinnamon roll and they put like the chili on it? Uh, No, it's the place that thinks they invented what's essentially a Hot Pocket. (laughs) Well, Okay. So I have made this point before. One of my favorite things about Earth is that every culture on this planet has a very specific, unique food thing that is just meat in dough. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, well, no, well, we have this thing, and we have this thing. And it's like, oh, is it meat inside of dough? And it's like, oh, well, yeah, it is meat inside of dough. So, like, is the dough fried? Is the dough, is the dough rolled? Like, whatever. I get it. An empanada or a loose meat sandwich or, you know, an egg roll or whatever. I mean, it's all, it's meat in dough. Now, I'm not complaining because you give me meat in dough right. and I'm the happiest boy in the world all day. A runza is meat in dough, but it's good. It's meat and a little bit of cabbage and a little bit of onion. And it's like wrapped, instead of it being like a steak sandwich, they sort of close the sandwich. So you eat it more as like a closed thing. It's a very good fast food thing to mm-hmm. eat because you can eat it while you drive, for sure. You can get it with cheese. The fries that they have with it are pretty good. So it is both a place and a sandwich. So It's like a hamburger calzone. Yeah, I think it is a hamburger calzone. <laughs> Again, a calzone. What's a calzone? It's meat and dough. So sounds like a restaurant, meat and dough. What? I mean, if I, <laughs> it's like if you, it's like here we have thirty different kinds of meat, meat and dough. dough representing every food culture on Earth. Meat and dough. I mean, if you're looking to invest in a new restaurant, <laughs> brought to you, you by Cleveland.com/slash/osu. That's it. So the Runza, it is both a place and a sandwich. For instance, in an SAT sentence, this would be true. I went to Runza to eat a Runza. So it is a fast food. They're everywhere in Nebraska, and they're like nowhere else. When my family went to Yellowstone a couple summers ago, we drove, and I made them drive through Nebraska specifically, which wasn't exactly on the way, to eat a Runza. And I had talked about it for like six hours, and then we got there, and they were like, it's a steak sandwich that's slightly more contained. And so I ruined it. I have probably overhyped the Runza already. But if you're going, eat it. I have no other recommendations. Have you been to Lincoln, Nathan? I've been to Lincoln numerous times. And I would say, I, I can't give you any like specific places, but um, I went there to cover a lot of basketball games. And right around the, the arena, around Pinnacle Bank Arena, they really have revamped that area. It's called Haymarket. Yes, it is called Haymarket. And there's just a ton of bars and restaurants. And I, when I say restaurants, I mean, I have eaten like Indian food there. I think there's, you know, Italian. There's more things that are just like your typical, like, American bar food places. Um, I think there's some, uh, there's, a, there's a, like, a Cajun, like, Creole place I ate at one time. Just a lot of stuff right there. So a lot of people who are maybe staying in Lincoln, 
if if you're if you're fortunate, um, there's gonna be you're probably staying in that area. There's just gonna be a lot of stuff within walking distance, so you, you can't really go wrong. There's gonna be a, a number of places to choose from. We also did drive through Lincoln on the way back from that Yellowstone trip, and we randomly stopped and ate there, and we somehow ate in like a sports bar that was owned by Mike Miller, like the guy who played for the Heat and the Cavs and uh-huh. like that weird shooting guard, mm-hmm. and yeah. he owned a sports bar. So go to Mike Miller's sports bar. Like it was average. Um, all right, let's get to questions. <laughs> But I seriously, meet and dough. So Ringing endorsement. Yeah. Meat in dough. And it's just 30, no vegetables. Just meat and dough. Just meat and dough. I mean, would anyone go away unhappy? Because it's caught. Vegetarians. Yeah, well, we don't want you. Um, no offense to vegetarians. I'm sure there are lovely, just like there are motorcycle riders, there are vegetarians. Everyone is welcome here at Buckeye Talk. We're just not all going to live the same way, which right. is fine. I'm going to ride in the minivan and eat meat and dough. Um, I see this game being closed from the 614, the call out to the texters, $3.99 a month. You know it by now. You're either subscribed already or you're like, oh my God, this is the part where Doug begs me to send money so he can text my phone. That sounds ridiculous. Just talk and shut up about the ads about the text already. I get it. But listen, man, we got to get some money. We got to make a little cash. Try it for 14 days. Try it. If you're sick of this ad... Try it and then send me it. Send me a message on text as soon as you get on and say, I'm so sick of your ad. I finally did it to shut you up. And we'll see if it works. If I get a, I should set a number and I'll say, I'll stop talking about it if enough people do it. $3.99 a month. You can text uh, questions to me and we answer them on the podcast. I see this game being close in the first two quarters before Ohio State's depth takes over in the second half and runs away with it. How do you predict this game playing out? So we're going to get to, we're going to talk a lot about this in the first chunk of the podcast. But the depth thing interests me. Is Do we have any kind of belief that, yes, that seems like an advantage for Ohio State? I thought, so when I rewatched the game the other night, I saw, I made a lot of notes as I was going through the first and second quarters of times where Nebraska's, or I'm sorry, Illinois' defensive line was getting in Nebraska's backfield. I did not make as many of those notes in the second half, and that could be adjustments that Nebraska made, although I think the concept of halftime adjustment sometimes is a little bit overblown. I do think, though, it had a lot to do with Nebraska ran... I mean, Illinois ran like 60-some plays, I think, in this game, and Nebraska ran like 300. Like, it was just... It was some crazy disproportionate... Not really 300. It was, But it was like in the 90s. Like, it was a big play disparity. Illinois' defense got worn down as this game went on. I think that advantage flips back to Ohio State in this matchup because you're talking about a defensive line that's already rotating a lot of guys who are making an impact. It's not all just Chase Young. You've got multiple guys at defensive tackle. You've got multiple guys at defensive end. And I don't know if the guys who didn't play last week, because there were, you know, between Jonathan Cooper not coming back yet, Tyreek Smith sitting out again, B.B. Landers being out again. I don't know how many of those guys will be back this week, but if two or three of those guys are back and ready to play this week, the depth that... Ohio State has up front can be a real impact as this game wears on because you're going just so deep with quality guys you can just kind of relentlessly keep coming at Nebraska in a way that I'm sure they have not seen. Steven, what do you have have on that? I agree on that just mainly because Nebraska's offensive line isn't like the best offensive line in the world. They've got a lot of playmakers on their offense but their line doesn't hold up and as things go on, a, a line that's already not an elite line is going to get tired and tired and tired. And, and, like, not to, you know, be cliche, but the 4-6-8-B to six, a to B thing, I think on the defensive line more than anywhere else, reigns supreme when you talk about outside of Chase. Yeah, Chase is what Chase is, but there's a lot of other guys who can make an impact, especially if Nebraska does to Chase Young something that the other four teams they face haven't done, and that's actually try to double-team him and take him out the game. 
I will say, and I'm reading a story, some of what Scott Frost said. I, I watched the Colorado game um, last night, which you're going to hear me reference 40 times in this podcast because I'm so proud of myself when I spend like an hour studying the opposition because I mostly pride myself on not knowing a single member of the other team um, week to week. But that's how important this game is and how legitimate I think Nebraska is. Scott Frost, they lost to Colorado. They blew a 17-0 lead. Scott Frost, after that game, did say he thought the defense might have gotten tired. And I thought, watching that game, I thought the defense got tired and the offensive line got tired for Nebraska. Now, it's at altitude. Every time anybody plays in Colorado, you have to give everything a caveat of, it's at altitude. So, you know, whatever. But that is what often distinguishes Ohio State from other good teams. A, a, a good solid program can be good 1 through 30. It's really hard to be good like 1 through 44. And Ohio State is, is good 1 through 44 most of the time and at a higher level than, than anybody in this conference. So, you know, Purdue's not deep either. But they didn't need to be deep. And Ohio State's the one that got tired in that game. So, like, you have to do something. I think if you're not – I think this is a true fact. Nebraska is not as deep as Ohio State. So then what does Nebraska do about that? You maybe keep the ball, right? You go, maybe you go up-tempo and try to make it so that Ohio State can't rotate as much on defense. Maybe you do something other, some other thing kind of physically to like really be physical with it, their receivers or really get hits on Justin Fields, something, right? Because you don't want Ohio State to let you wear, them wear you down. But to the question in the 614 that we're starting off with here, I would not be surprised at how that played out. Right? We've sort of said that for other games this year. Close for a while, Ohio State wears you down. That's kind of their M.O. a lot of the time. Yeah, and I want to see... I think that depth could make a deep, uh, an impact on special teams, too. Um, it just seems like an area where we're seeing it make a big impact. It's already, what is it, three games in a row where Ohio State's blocked a kick. Um, and I think that I think that's an area where we're already seeing it make an impact. What is the biggest matchup advantage in favor of the Cornhuskers? This is from the 813. Um, I think it's skill guys for them in space, potentially against some of the linebackers, maybe. Now, it's one of those, there's not an obvious thing. And I think Adrian Martinez can be a matchup advantage for them. We're going to tell, we're going to learn something about the linebackers, right? And I think we've been talking about that a lot. We're going to learn about Tough Boiler. We're going to learn about Pete Warner. Maybe we're going to see a lot of Baron Browning. I don't know that anyone doubts Baron Browning's ability to stay with an athletic quarterback. And we're going to learn about Brendan White if we think we're going to see the bullet more. But J.D. Spielman in the slot, we talk about it all the time on this podcast. The little slot receivers, K.J. Hamler at Penn State, J.D. Spielman at Nebraska, Rondale Moore, Wandale Robinson, Wandale. If I, I don't know what the other, Rondale, Wandale, and whatever, what would be the other, his tr- the triplet in that? Londale? Londale. Rondale, <laughs> Wandale, and Londale. So it's Rondale Moore, Wandale Robinson, and like Londale Jones. If, if there's a Londale Jones out there listening to this podcast right now, Ohio State has offered you a scholarship because they need you to be here. Now, Mookie Cooper's going to be here next year for Ohio State, and he's going to be that guy. Everybody, it's like, I, I put it on Ohio State sometimes, like, oh, Ohio State has trouble with fast little slot receivers. It's like, oh, really? Is it Ohio State? It's the world. The whole world has trouble with skilled, little, shifty, hard-to-guard slot receivers if you use them the right way. So is it is it like a matchup advantage? I don't know that it's an, an advantage. Like, Nebraska slot receivers and running backs and receivers against, like, the Ohio State back seven – but I think that's where they have the best chance to hurt them. Because I don't think 
You know, I think Nebraska's defensive line looks like it has some guys. They have a ninety number ninety four. I feel like a, I feel like this is how the guys the film when the players talk about it. They never know anybody's name. They just know the number. Number ninety four looks like a defensive end with a little size to him, a little thickness to him. He got in the backfield a few times. They have some guys in the back end um, who can run. I don't know. You know, Nebraska's defense is not as athletic as Ohio State's defense, but I thought Nebraska's defense looked athletic enough. So I mean, they're going to have as much trouble trying to cover KJ Hill and Austin Mack and. Ben Victor and, and everybody else, Ohio State, Chris Olave, everybody Ohio State puts out there, they're going to have trouble too. But always, to me, if you're going to do if you're going to do something with Ohio State, you've got to have a some threat at the skill positions. Purdue had Rondale Moore, Iowa had Noah Fant and T.J. Hawkinson mm-hmm. create some stuff. I think it's possible that Spielman throwing the ball to Maurice Washington out of the backfield, Wandale Robinson, they have some guys who maybe. Not that it's an edge, but can give Ohio State something to be concerned with. But the key to that is getting out on the edge and like getting there. I think their whole point is once they're there, they can do some damage. They've got to get there first because we've seen teams try to get out to the edge and the defensive ends have kind of beat them there. So their their advantage, if anything, comes from if you can like do the hard part and get past the initial Tyreek Smith, Chase Youngs, and Jonathan Cooper, if he plays, whoever else is out there, if you can get past that, that's where your advantage is. But that's easier said than done. I, I do think, and Ryan Day mentioned this um, on Tuesday. He's talking about up-tempo. Because it's a lot of this stuff. You get a, and Here's the thing. Everybody attacks everybody the same way, kind of, except Wisconsin. There's like 129 teams in, one double, one, in major college football doing it one way. And then Wisconsin does it the other way, which is part of why Wisconsin is good. But... Sometimes, am I a fraud? Am I just faking my way through this for 15 years? Well, I, I think maybe if they can get some guys in space. That, what does that even mean? Like Throw the ball to a fast guy and tell him to run. I don't know. It's the same thing every week. It's whether your fast guy is fast enough. They have some good players. They have better players than Indiana had. Yeah. They have better players than Cincinnati had. Now, I, I don't know what Indiana and Cincinnati are going to do down the line. In those games, I not I did not feel like Ohio State should have ever felt threatened by anybody with the ball. I know that Cincinnati running back, Michael Warren, whatever, no disrespect to him. He's done some good things. Not in that he, game. He was never a threat. They, I think some of these guys can be a threat. And Scott too. Frost has to get him the ball. Yeah. By the way, there's Lawndale Sanders who plays defense for Arkansas Pine Pine Bluff. Oh, tell uh, him to transfer to like Penn State. So yeah. yeah, if he I, unless you he grad transfers I just did a Lawndale search. I tried Lawndale Jones, it wasn't going anywhere. Um, so Lawndale Sanders, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Try if if you see them end up as somehow some kind of crazy bowl opponent for Ohio State, be very concerned. <laughs> Let me tell you, if if we are in a situation where Ohio State is playing Arkansas Pine Somebody's Bluff in a bowl, <laughs> there's not going to be anybody listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, I, uh, I do want to talk about Lawndale though, because again. I, I watched the Colorado game. I have not watched the Illinois game yet, but but Wandale Robinson ended up playing running back in that game. He is a guy that Ohio State was interested in. He's from Kentucky. He committed to Kentucky. On the day he committed, Ohio State was in the mix. He stays at the home state school. Then he flips and goes to Nebraska and immediately gets on the field and has an impact. If he was here, Ohio State could use him. He'd be sitting behind K.J. Hill right now. And actually, as a side note, I did ask some people um, around the team on Tuesday... Just to double check, like if there's anything going on with Jalen Gill, because he just has not played very much. And the message that I got is like everything's fine. There's not anything like 
wrong there. Darnell's or... It's just... He's not playing well enough. It's, you know, it's sort of the idea of like, well, who, who do you want to bench? Right. Like, yeah. K.J. Hill is in the game, and if it's not K.J. Hill, a lot of time it's a tight end. Right. They, they do rotate, and they have rotated, but they don't rotate for the sake of rotating. So, you know what? Like, if they feel like that... On the outside, they feel like there is equal stuff. And then also, by the way, they wanted to get Austin Mack more snaps... So now they're playing Austin Mack, which we've noted and talked about. Austin Mack is now the backup H because they're interested, as we've talked about, keep Chris Olave on the field more. We don't just want to have Olave and Mack share one spot and have Victor and Wilson share one spot. Let's move Austin Mack around. So they're going to have Austin Mack take some of the maybe possible Jalen Gill snaps rather than take Chris Olave snaps because that's better for Ohio State. So Wandale Robinson would not be doing much here. He's doing big things for Nebraska, but that says something to me if a little slot receiver like that can go in and play tailback in the second half. How'd he look? Well, he was a running back, I believe. I believe he was a running back in high school, and they converted him to a slot guy, which is not uncommon. And so he had some background with that, but I thought he looked pretty good. And and I think um, it's just one of those things where even if um, Nebraska's running backs are healthy, it sounds like they will be, from what I saw in that game, I, I think they would be wise to keep finding ways to move him around. Because going back to what you were saying before, you think it's a game where um, Ohio State's linebackers are going to be tested. It's going to be interesting to see what Ohio State is, how how Ohio State decides to line up. Because yes. obviously their personnel is interchangeable a little bit. Do we see three linebackers a lot? Do we see Brendan White on the field more? You know, and it, it, when when there when there are only two linebackers out there, how often is it Barrett Brown, Baron Browning instead of? Tough Borland. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Um, and because of things like that, I think it's even smarter for Nebraska to try to put him on the field, get him in motion, move him around, you know, find a place where, you know, get Ohio State set up, and then you make a decision to attack that the way you can with a guy that versatile. And we do know they're going to have three corners on the field the whole game. Sean Wade was over top Rondale Moore a lot last year. I think you've got to find a way to bracket guys like that, to give help on on guys like that, to make sure that there's someone else um, who is trying to interfere with him on a play. Um, So it's going to be mostly corners on slots and receivers. I think Maurice Washington, that's his name, right? Is that the guy that's the running back? Yes. Yes. Gosh, I know like seven players on Nebraska. Um, he looks good it, to me. It's Maurice Washington, and it's also... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the second guy. The second guy. Diedrich Mills. Diedrich Mills. I th- And they were both hurt against Illinois, which is both why I wanted Robinson. Yeah. They both played, and they got banged up. So it's, and by sort of what Scott Frost is so far saying, and not exactly saying, but he said, like, everybody's good to go practice. So I think we'll assume that Maurice Washington and Diedrich Mills are going to play, and then if you hear at the end of the week after this podcast, hey, they're not playing, and we will put that on the site at cleveland.com if that's the case, that would be a big deal, I think, because against against Illinois, maybe as long as you still have Adrian Martinez and Wandale Robinson, that's kind of enough. Against Ohio State, you need multiple threats to stress this defense, because one guy's not enough. But the corners are going to cover Maurice Washington in the Colorado game, which I watched, Believe it or not, and, and we got to get into this just so you have a context of I think context, uh, Colorado is significantly better than anybody Ohio State has played so far. Nebraska was up 17-0 into the, late into the third quarter. Colorado scored by running a flea flicker out of its own end zone and throwing like a 96-yard touchdown pass on a flea flicker. And then they blew some coverages late. But there was a point where they scored on a big play, on like a tricky big play, 
And the first play of the next series, Nebraska's threw a swing pass to Maurice Washington, and he ran 75 yards down the sideline. And there was no trick to it. Colorado had to A, trick Nebraska, and B, rely on gigantic Nebraska mistakes in order to beat them. And Nebraska just like moved the ball down the field with efficiency and talent. And Colorado didn't make any big mistakes. There were five or six things that had to happen for Colorado to win, and they all happened. Maurice Washington catching the ball. Is that Malik Harrison? Maybe, right? Is that Pete Warner at times? Is that Brendan White? That matchup, I think, is very interesting if I was Nebraska. Because it's like, are you sure? Can Wandale Robinson as a freshman, like, shake Sean Wade all night? I mean, slots, slot receivers are made to get open because their routes you can run. It's an either-or route a lot of the time. You can run both ways because you're in the middle, inside part of the field. It's hard to defend. But Sean Wade's really good. I think maybe that throwing to the backs will be an issue. And it's going to be a big game for the linebackers because Adrian Martinez is going to run. Oh, yeah. Called run, scrambles. The linebackers are going to have to tackle him after he's four yards down the field and try to let him not get 11 yards down the field. But I do think um, it's the if they don't have a multiplicity of threats, they're dead. But if they have five dudes who's scary a little bit, I think they have a shot. Well, here's the other reason. You're getting to why I think Washington and um, and Mills could be critical. Go back to the 2017. I, I wrote a story earlier this week on our site about why this Nebraska game has some similarities to Iowa in 2017, to Purdue in 2018, being that team in the West, kind of you know, maybe even just a middle-of-the-road team, which is Purdue and Iowa were those two years, but how that ended up being an upset because some of the factors both those teams had are similar to this Cornhuskers team. 2017 Iowa, if you were to if you were to name the people who were critical in that game for Iowa, you already named Hawkins Smith and um, Fant. And Fant. Nate Stanley had a big game. Uh, the cornerback Josh Jackson had a had three interceptions. You get pretty far down that list before you name Akram Wadley and James Butler. But Wadley had 118 yards on 20 carries. Butler had 74 yards on 10 carries. So you're getting a lot of production out of the backfield from those guys. Go to the Purdue game. You name Rondell Moore. You name... Rondell Moore again. Right. Rondell Moore again. <laughs> you, name Mar- you might even name like someone like Marcus Bailey. I think he had 15 tackles, a Columbus kid, 15 tackles, and a pick six in that game. Um, you probably would name Jeff Brom. You go a long way before you bring up DJ Knox, who's a name that nobody at Ohio State ever probably thought they'd ever have to care about. 128 yards and three touchdowns on 16 carries. When you have an element like Rondell Moore or those tight ends for Iowa... And then you force the other team to overcompensate in some ways. That's going to open something somewhere else. And that's where I think if if Nebraska or if Ohio State is having trouble with Spielman, with Wandale, I think that's where this dual running back threat, in addition to Adrian Martinez, because neither of those teams that I just mentioned had a quarterback like Adrian Martinez. No offense to, to Nate Stanley, I guess. Uh, but he's not, uh, as, uh, he's not as versatile. He's not as a dual threat in the same if, way. If Brian Ferentz, the Iowa offensive <laughs> coordinator, is listening to this podcast... Which this, he is. You know he is. This time it was not Doug Maurice throwing slander on Nate Stanley's name. That's Nathan Baird. I was not slandering Nate Stanley. I was just pointing out that he's not a dual threat the same way that Adrian Martinez is. Uh, I'm, I'm just really saying... Like this, like slandering to me. Uh, it does not have to be slander for Brian Ferentz to bring it up at a press conference and be like, some guy in Ohio. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, be ready. Well, that'll be my, my moment in the sun. I guess I'll be, I'll be I finally arrived in Big Ten football. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just saying that don't, don't, don't sleep on those guys. I know they don't flash in some ways the same way 
that those receivers do or the way Adrian Martinez does. But these guys can produce if given the opportunity. And in the vein of emphasizing the fact that I'm a fraud who just says the same thing over and over again, I think to attack Ohio State, it's quick throws in the middle of the field. You do spread them out a little bit, but can't run wide. You pop those runs up the middle. You yeah. spread them yeah. out with a look and then and they, pop a quick run. And they did that a few times against Illinois, or at least like you know inside tackle, off tackle kind of stuff was maybe about as far as they were veering and having success. When Even when Nebraska tried to go wide, I thought, against Illinois in the run game, I think they were having trouble getting the outside, other than Martinez could do it sometimes. I think you have a lot more success going between the tackles, and I think no team has been able to effectively do that. Even what Miami of Ohio had had some success with early on I thought it was really smart it was like misdirection they ran that little counter yep. pitch thing which I thought was a beautiful play um, and you could maybe maybe Scott Frost will come up with some things like that too this week I don't know but I think you're right I think it's some it, it's the Big Ten at some point you've got to line up and just go face to face with that guy in front of you and knock him down we'll get to Adrian Martinez more because I want to spend a decent chunk of, of a section on him um Let's get to Shelby in Fort Myers, who is a loyal listener and texter. What's your take on which injured defensive lineman will return this week? Steven, we don't know, right? But let's talk about what we think they could use because they're tight-lipped with the injuries. We're not going to pretend that we have 14 sources inside the training staff who are telling us exactly how somebody's high ankle sprain is healing. But Tyreek Smith has been out. Jonathan Cooper has been out. Tyler Friday was out, but he's been back. How much do you think they need these other guys? How much of a big deal do you think it is for Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith to play or not play in this game? Or, you know what, they have Javante Jean-Baptiste, they have Zach Harrison, they have Tyler Friday, they have some guys in the middle who are getting penetration. Are they fine without them? No, not in this game. I think they were fine. I think Tyreek Smith and B.B. Landers especially were more preventive maintenance than they were these guys have serious long-term injuries because even before the game last week against Miami, Ohio, you saw Tyreek Smith out there getting a warm-up in as if he was going through his normal routine before a game. B.B. Landers was warming up a little bit. I think Jonathan Cooper could have played, but why try it? So like, but he's, I'm not going to put money on like Jonathan Cooper playing, but I do think Tyreek Smith and B.B. Landers will both be back, and they're going to need both of those guys. Larry Johnson has talked about the fact that he likes the fact that he can rotate six deep on the inside and then rotate the guys he has on the outside as well. Well, you lose some of that when guys aren't playing. And Zach Harrison was solid, but he was solid against Miami of Ohio. He's still a true freshman, and I'm, I don't know if I'm comfortable with a true freshman being your starting defensive end going into a game like this. Yeah, uh, this is more of an all-hands-on-deck kind of game, and I'll be very curious about Cooper in particular because, again, people have kind of said, like, the preseason's over. It was three mm-hmm. non-conference games in Indiana. Um it possibly would have made sense of like we're going to target Jonathan Cooper once he gets the injury we're going to try to get him back for Nebraska whatever we got to do because again we saw him at practice like two weeks ago coming out the field Mm -hmm. in pads and a a helmet he was moving around before the game um, last Saturday last two yeah last two weeks he's been moving around so we've been hearing whatever that he's he's back (laughs) that he's that he's on the verge and I think it makes a lot of sense like if you they did not need him to beat, well, they didn't need most of the people on the roster to beat Miami of Ohio. So the 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 the, op, the op, opposition, the opportunity to lose him to an injury, an aggravation, or something yeah. is too great to bring him back. I think I think I'd be not surprised at all to see him on Saturday. Um, let's di- get into the prior stuff a little bit more here because we're I'm going through the text questions again. A great round of questions from all the texters. We're kind of take them as they come because again, I don't like to do show prep. 
Uh, podcast question from our guy Kenny Stabler. Does Isaiah Pryor entering the transfer portal indicate that he thinks Josh Proctor will be the definite starter next year and an All-American candidate? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about not about anything about this year with Isaiah Pryor. Jordan Fuller is the starting free safety. Yes. Really the starting safety. They start one safety. He's a senior. Tremendous dude. Very good player. Maybe not great player. Not yet. Hasn't been tested a ton this season. Um, not Malik Cooker, which is, again, no offense. There's nobody like Malik Cooker. Where do we think the safety position is for next year? And you actually asked Nathan, Brian Day, about this on Tuesday, about the future recruiting of the safety position. Are we just assuming, like, Josh Proctor's the man next year and they're good? Well, he said the alterations have already happened. I mean, they've got two <coughs> guys, two safeties coming in in this next class, the 2020 class. So they are replacing some of the bodies who are going out. But he did, Ryan Day did say that they have already made some alterations to how they recruit that position, as they would need to, because it becomes, I wouldn't want to say less of a priority. You still have to have a really good safety. It may even become more of a priority to find a really great safety. It, it, it becomes a greater emphasis on quality, less on quantity. But like yes. you said, you want almost like a five-star dude. Probably. And I think, and it's, and it's interesting because... It probably changes also maybe the kind of guy that you were going to recruit for that position, too. So, obviously, 2020 is what it is. You've got Lathan Ransom and Legend Cavazos. Those are going to be your safeties in that class. Neither one of those guys are five-star guys. They're both four-star guys. 2021, they've offered one five-star guy in James Williams, but it doesn't look like he's you know seriously considering Ohio State. But, I mean, if you're still going to recruit multiple safeties, I think at some point, you know, you plan on playing both of those guys and at some point if you're still recruiting multiple safeties and bringing in multiple safeties in the same class. Well, safety is also a position, too, where you're sometimes getting a pure athlete and there's guys who can move around at that spot. You'll find there's a lot of programs in the Big Ten and elsewhere that have a guy who was recruited as a safety, but now he's a linebacker. He, yeah. You know, I think you know, um, your, Pete Warner played safety in high school and early in his career, and now to, he's a linebacker. To your point, Legend will probably end up being a deep. Or, 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 or move to corner, yeah. yeah. Sometimes those guys end up just being big corners. I do think um, Cavazos, I think, looks like a, a deep free safety for them. I think one of the things people talk about with him is range. I think Ransom might be more like a bullet. Um, I think. That's the other thing, so too. That's, I mean, and that's like, he's guys are, some weight for that, though. Guys are being, what's he at now? 193. So, got, you know, they're listed as safety in the recruiting thing, but, but Ohio State talks about like how we see them fitting into the defense. So, they are going to have to start recruiting linebacker safety hybrids rather than just turning guys into that once they get here. Um, and, and Jim Harbaugh and everybody has talked about that. The Michigan guys talked about that. You've got you've heard about that, Stephen, right? You've got to like recruit. You've got to find the right guys for yeah. this. You start looking for it in recruiting. So they do want. I mean, Malik Hooker is the dream. Malik Hooker wasn't a single high safety. He was part of a two deep safety look a decent amount of the time, but he can cover sideline to sideline by himself. And when you have well, that allows you to have your other have that bullet in there, have three corners up who are on top of guys and putting pressure on them, but then back behind them, you feel completely covered. That one guy can cover the whole, whole field. It's a game changer for a defense, and so um, I think Jordan Fuller's pretty good at that. Um, the funny thing is, like, there's a hooker on this team. You know, Malik Hooker's brother is on this team, Marcus Hooker, who is yes. a safety also, who I think has had some injury issues and just maybe hasn't come along yet. Certainly could still be that guy. We've seen it. Like, Proc, Proc, 
You know this? What am I about to say? Josh Proctor's good. You yeah. guys saw it? He tracks the ball like a fiend. Yeah. He gets after it. He has great range. I think, like, if I'm Isaiah Pryor, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy, that's exactly what they're looking for. And me, I'm a little less of what they're looking for. Isaiah Pryor was a starter for the first half of 2018 and lost his job to Brendan White. He's, he's, a, he's a decent player. Good luck to him. But he doesn't fit that deep safety thing nearly in the way Josh Proctor does. And yeah, and he just, I mean, this happens. Like, you get surpassed, and it's one of the things, and it's, I, you know, Ryan Day was asked about the the role that the new redshirt rule plays in this, because this is, you know, he's not the only guy who did this, but you get four games into the season, you've assessed your point, and you know, well, if I walk away right now, I get to have this whole season of eligibility back, and plus he's got another one on top of that. He can grad transfer and go have two years somewhere else. And this is going to be a thing that, that in all sports, that but I mean, in football, especially because of the four, the, the, the four game rule, you're going to see more of, but it's a net positive thing, I think, for the sport. And I, I agree. I, I would argue, and I think Ryan Day feels the same way. He did. He said he feels the same way. But um, yeah, I, to go back to the, the um, to the question, do I think he sees that it's the writing on the wall that Josh Proctor is the starter next year? Yes. Do I think it's the the All American thing? That that's a completely different question. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But he has that potential. Maybe someday. Maybe I don't know if it's immediate, but we'll see. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it could be immediate, and, and I'm not being a uh, Contrarian. And, well, I'm not being an old guy. Like, let me tell you how it works here at Ohio <laughs> State, Nathan. It took me a while to understand this. Um, dudes go from not being on the field to All-Americans and in the NFL like that. Like, people didn't exactly know like what the deal was with Malik Hooker. And then he was a top 15 pick or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, he, was, he started for one year. So we actually have seen a lot more of these Josh Proctor glimpses than we ever saw glimpses, really, of Malik Hooker. Um, and that's not fair to compare anyone to Malik Hooker, but I, I think Proctor could be hugely impactful right off the bat. I want to add this about the prior transfer. They're at 22 commits for 2020. They have 18 seniors on this roster. We know Chase Young and Jeff Okuda are going pro. That's 20. Losing prior is now 21 spots open. So we knew there has to be attrition. It's like I always try to be careful. You don't want to throw out names of guys because these are their lives. You don't want to start saying, well, this guy could or should transfer just because he's down the depth chart. But this is a reasonable transfer both for the player and the program because Ohio State needs to lose like another guy. And they're going to add another guy or two in this recruiting class. If they get the 25 in this class... They still need to have like four other guys either transfer or turn pro other than who we know about and that are almost sure things. So prior being one of those, I think, just makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. This is from the 309. This is a, a bit of a larger picture question. And I think it's hard to answer, but we'll try to answer it. We don't have to get super into this. This is almost like a bi-week kind of question. Um, but the person who wrote it from the 309 says, I've been waiting on this one. With Nebraska coming up this week with J.D. Spielman, I'm thinking ahead to the future and potential matchup for the Ohio State defense. Based on what we've seen of this defense and the personnel they're playing, which type of receiving threat should we be most concerned with? So this Ohio State defense, what threat would concern them most? One is the fast slot receiver that we just spent 10 minutes talking about. Two is a strong tight end, like we saw in the Iowa game two years ago. Three are the big outside receivers that you might see from like Clemson or Alabama. And I would say that's what we saw with Sammy Watkins and guys like that in the 2013 Orange Bowl. 
Um, last year, the slots, this is the, the texture, the slot receivers killed them. But with Sean Wade having another year, maybe he could help take that away. I mean, Sean Wade's playing really well. 2017, it was, the, it was the tight ends, but part of that was the linebackers weren't very good in 2017, right. Bill Davis. Um, who is the biggest threat? I think it is the outside receivers. And, like, when you saw um, what Sammy Watkins did in 2013, when you saw what Mike Williams did in 2016 for Clemson, I mean, it's not only Clemson receivers, but, like, Okuda is really good. But... They're playing a lot of zone, and you have those big, smart outside receivers who can find a soft spot in a zone, who can do back shoulder stuff, who can use their bodies. I think they're fast enough most of the time to maybe not get as smoked by the slots as they have in the past. And I believe more in a guy like Malik Harrison and maybe this bullet stuff with Brendan Wade, Pete Warner to cover tight ends more than I believed in the linebackers in 2017. I don't know, and I, 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 don't, I don't even know who, who's this, his name is Cephas, the Cephas guy from Wisconsin, who's their good receiver. I think he might be one of those guys, a bigger outside guy. I don't well, know how often you see guys like that in the Big Ten. But if, to me, it's like, well, yeah, it's Jerry Judy. It's whoever Clemson's right. throwing out there because that's what the toughest stuff is for everybody. But frankly, in the Big Ten, you don't see a ton of that. No, and it's it's even rarer that you would have two, and that's where I think it really comes into play. It's you know because I'm at a point where I think Okuda is going to neutralize or win just about any matchup he gets. It'll be awesome if we can get to see him against Jerry Judy or someone like that. <laughs> He's in season absolutely prototypical NFL corner. Yes, he is. He is one hundred percent. There are there are NFL teams right now Long really excited arms. about when they're going to get to draft like, Jeff Okuda. Yeah. Physical, in, in, yeah. Like, Speed. Now, I mean, obviously, every so often you're going to give up one just because that's how football works. But right. Like, yeah, for the most part, he's locking you down. But I think he also has a mentality that bounces back really well yep. from those yeah. things. Now, Damon Arnett, also very, very good cornerback, but prone to penalties. A little bit more prone, I think, to not being able to shut people down as well as Jeff Okuda and does. And that's past, not even really a knock. Has made mistakes in the past. Right. So if you can get that second guy on the field who, you know, you've got to use Akuda to take away somebody else, and this number two guy is at that level, or maybe just a notch below, that's where I think teams could really potentially exploit and, and Ohio State. And consistently testing. Like, Damon Arnett only, I think, has one pass interference penalty this year, and he made up for it with a pick six. But they also haven't been tested enough to really, like, see if he's actually more disciplined than he was last season. And corner could also be the spot where the, the depth is potentially a bigger issue, too. If one of those guys has to come out for even a series, now you're dealing with Cam Brown, who is obviously impressing the coaches yeah. and, and getting on the field, but is very untested compared to those other two guys. And, and can I just say, this has got me thinking about it. And it applies the other way, too. But Ohio State has not been in the playoff in in... They got so blown out in 2016, it's almost hard to count it. But that, but they got blown out by exactly the kind of guy that I'm thinking about right now. So it does count. I wanted to see that Ohio State secondary in 2016 against Deshaun Watson. I wanted to see Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and Gary Conley and Denzel Ward against Deshaun Watson. Guess what? Deshaun Watson won. Mm. When you think about the five... We're, I think there's a group... And we're going to get to an AP question next. It's a group of the top six teams. And they all have great quarterbacks, which is uh, obviously... Let me tell you what. The quarterback position is very important for a team to be great. But the six best teams in the country, their quarterbacks are Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Trevor Lawrence, and Jake Fromm. 
and I'm just sitting here right now in this discussion, and I can't name all the receivers on all those teams, but I'm really excited about the idea of this Ohio State defense facing Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, or Jake Fromm, because those guys don't exist in the Big Ten. Right. And we have I've written about it and talked about it for 15 years. Dwayne Haskins was the first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the first round since Kerry Collins in 1995. This is not a quarterback league. It's where this league trails behind the rest of the country the most. That's why Justin Fields stands out so much. It's why Dwayne Haskins stood out so much. It's why JT Barrett could be JT Barrett could be the best quarterback and like the best offensive player in the Big Ten. And he wasn't a great thrower. He wasn't an NFL quarterback, but there weren't any NFL quarterbacks in this league. And Jim Harbaugh has not brought NFL quarterbacks to Michigan. Mm-hmm. So the chance to, oh, the chance. Baker Mayfield for two years? How great was that to see this Ohio State defense go to Norman and take care of Baker Mayfield in 2016 and then have Baker Mayfield come to Columbus in 2017 and let him know, hey, your defense isn't as good as you thought it was because I just took it apart. I really would love to see and, and to see Ohio State win and get another shot. If we could see him play Tua and Trevor Lawrence or Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm, what an end to the season this would be for a defense that I think we all think is very good, but we would find out just how good. Yeah, but, and that's the tested thing. Like The best quarterback they're going to go against during the regular season is in practice, and it's not even close. Maybe Adrian Martinez is probably the best that they're going to get as far as like actual competition this year. But, but even with, his best thing is yeah, not throwing it. Right, it's not. And so, like... It, it, it is kind of a question to see, like when when your be- when the best guy you're ever going to face is in practice, how does that translate in a world where maybe they do get into the playoff and now they actually have to go against the guy and you actually can hit this guy? By the way, plug for something I'm writing later this week actually about how Justin Fields, how Ohio State can use him to help prepare to defend someone like Adrian Martinez. The biggest test for the Buckeyes yet, will beating Nebraska help vault us a spot or two in the popularity contest that is the AP poll, or do we need to wait and see how how we fare against Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, etc.? That's from the 3-3-0. I'm not saying we're underrated, but it feels like national media guys aren't high on us when, from a fan's opinion, they've looked absolutely stunning. I know Joel Platt, I think, has him first or second on his ballot. He I has, think he's an AP voter. He has them at 1A, and they, I think Clemson and Alabama are 1B and 1C. So I and I and, and I again, I mean, who's smarter than Joel Platt? But you're a voter this year, Nathan. Where do you have Ohio State on your ballot right now? I have them fourth. Fourth, and who are the three teams ahead of them? Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. Okay, so Georgia just beat Notre Dame, and that's the best win for that group. Um, yes. LSU has a pretty good win against Texas, but on the road, on the road, yeah, I would argue that's the better win. What, what, do you you think beating Texas is better than beating Notre on Dame? the road? On I, the I would road, I would say yeah. I would say because it. Of, yeah, that's what I think makes it. I make I might make that argument too. And Auburn has beaten Oregon at home, and what did they do? They just A&M. beat somebody, and they just beat yeah. Texas A and M. So that's Ellinger's too good. That's to me two top fifteen teams that they've already. Ellinger is probably the better quarterback between Notre Dame and, and Texas. Okay, but both, so that's a couple teams. In yeah. the mix with Ohio State, have, win I'm just saying we're, we're, they we're, both have a signature win. Notice we're not bringing up how Ohio State has, any, and that's that's, <laughs> that's the thing. That's, the point. It's, yeah. I don't think the national media is down, or myself are down on Ohio State. But when you've got when you've got six or seven teams, which there are right now, I, I mean, I though I would go all the way down to Oklahoma, and now Wisconsin's coming up strong. So you might I I would put Wisconsin at a I would put them the next away. tier down, but the top of the next tier down. But those yeah. those other seven, I think, are are pretty darn close. So, 
when you're looking for ways to decide how to rank them, you have to use wins like that. So what do you think? Let's say so here. That's let's because say, I had I had LSU above Ohio State going into this past week. I flipped them five and four. So let's say that the rest of the teams, and I don't know who anybody else plays this week. They have nice wins. I can tell you exactly. Yeah, yeah. Who they play? Clemson is at North Carolina, yep. which is a solid team. Mac Brown, man, Mac Brown. Georgia plays nobody. Alabama. Literally nobody, they're off? Yeah, they're off. Okay. <laughs> Idol, idle, as I like to say. Yeah. Uh, Alabama at home against Ole Miss. We all know Ohio State at Nebraska. LSU also idle. And then Auburn goes at Mississippi State, which is a team that's fallen out of the top 25, but I think unjustly. I, I still have them in my top 25. I think Ohio State moves up. To number four, if like they get if they win, Which if is they where they're on Nathan's ballot. Yeah, they're five in the poll. Yeah, they'll move. I think they move up to four if they get a convincing well, one. And like, I think yeah, especially if they put some stank on it. I yeah, because they'll they'll have at least. A, now obviously it's not a signature as what Georgia and what LSU have, but it's like at least a win where you can go. Okay, this team is for real. I should also mention Oklahoma is a home against Texas Tech. That's another team that's in that top five conversation on a lot of ballots. Right. Do you think this would be a good joke? That do you think people have already made this? You just said idle a couple times. Remember when, like, I don't know who Alabama plays in the week before Auburn this year, but they always play a crappy team. They play Chattanooga State or whatever. They played. They have played the Citadel at times in that spot. Do you think anybody called them sit idle? <laughs> like it's almost like being idle. But last We're playing year, sit idle this year. Didn't didn't wasn't. Am I remembering this? Didn't last year? Didn't the Citadel like give them? A really tough game. Like they fought them through the first half. I was in Charleston covering so. another sport at another place. Somebody got mad when I mentioned because I mentioned that sport too much. Um, uh, and I and I picked up my paper on Sunday morning, and I believe they it was ten ten at halftime. Yeah, yeah. Citadel gave them a scare. <laughs> and then Alabama. It was it was the scare of like imagine like Miami Ohio and Ohio State, except my, that the score was seven to five at the end of halftime. Well, and then Alabama was like, oh, I don't have to use this yeah. bicycle. I can use this Porsche. <laughs> yeah. And then they just... And then Alabama scored... 27 in the third. 27 in the third and another one a minute and a half into the fourth. Sit idle. That's my joke. Anyway, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I don't... I, anyway. Sit idle. Okay. So, again, I, I think it's something... It's something that can help them, but really what's going to help Ohio State climb in the polls is if one of these other good teams loses to another really good team. You're going to yeah. need Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, LSU. Somebody's got to knock one of those teams off. But every day, every game is a beauty pageant. And so it, it is. beating it, it Nebraska 41-14 to 14 would do a lot more than beating Nebraska 27-24. Well, and honestly, would. I think 76-5 to 5 made some people be like, oh. Like, even though it's Miami of Ohio, when you put up a score like that, I think it does make uh. people be like, that's uh, what kind of out. That's no. kind of obscene. What about my idol of Ohio? My idol of Ohio. Stop this! Please stop <laughs> this. My idol. I, I just. I. But the other thing is, like as you say, yes, it, it is a beauty pageant. But like my personal opinion is, what I try to do, and I'm going to try to do it even more so going to this next ballot. My next ballot could look pretty different because I wasn't super happy with how I felt about, especially like the top or the bottom, like ten spots in this last ballot. It should be every week you reassess completely all the teams. Yeah, but that no one's doing. You have to, but nobody, but people don't have time. It's tough. We have a quick turnaround no to do that, especially when we've got a night game Saturday night. I I, I heard of somebody who used to do that that way. It it should be done that way. If that was the case, Clemson wouldn't be the number one team in the country right now. I know, and like when I, I used to vote, I didn't, didn't put them. 
I would do stuff like that all yeah. the time. So like, yeah, and, and everybody yelled at me. Yeah, it, but that's it, that's how it should be. It I should, mean, but you know, that's... I, you know, I and so, but what I'm saying is like, yes, it's a beauty pageant week to week, but it's also if there's a lot of teams, if they don't, if you've got them number one and they don't lose, no matter how they don't lose, there's some confirmation bias at play. There's some, well, I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want to admit that maybe I didn't have the right yeah. team in whatever spot. So people don't sometimes move people down unless they lose. And on the other flip side, people will sometimes always move somebody down if they lose no matter what. Somebody, I was getting into a Twitter thing this week with somebody who was thrown out like, oh, I saw that somebody after Notre Dame lost, they moved them up like four or five spots on their ballot. And I'm like, well, yeah, they went into Georgia, yeah. into Georgia, which might be the best team in the country. I picked Georgia to win the national championship before the season, as you may recall, if you're loyal listeners. Um, if they went into Georgia and had the ball with a chance to win on the road, last play of the game. So if you had them like 12th, that probably made you think, oh, actually, this is like probably one of the seven or eight best teams in the country. I've always said, and the bottom line is it doesn't matter. The playoff committee reevaluates every week. So, like, you can think it's wrong. It's what the playoff committee does. And they're the only people that matter. And they don't matter until November. What about this? But we're going to keep writing those things on Tuesdays no matter what. Oh, because you love it. There is nothing. There's two things that people love that are meaningless. One is standing in line for your Southwest flight. Like fifteen minutes before you have to go get in line, just sit in your seat yeah, and go call you. You have a number. I love the B group people. So your number's like yeah. B fifty seven, but you're standing there waiting. Like, the A down. group isn't even yeah. standing it's up like, yet. Oh, I'm a I'm A thirty one. What are you? Yeah, B fifty seven. Then get the hell out of the way. Unless this is like a nine hour flight and you're really trying to stave off like a blood clot by just walking in place or whatever. Just sit down. But people also love the AP poll. The worthless, yes. meaningless AP poll, which is populated by idiots. No offense. But it's better than the coaching Learned idiots. Learned from watching who are, you, Dad. Who even, I mean, I was the chief idiot for a long time, and I had readily admitted it. As you said, you cover a game all day. You come home and watch highlights for 15 minutes, well, and your ballot has to be in by 11 a.m. Yeah, especially like this weekend. Like I'll just tell people, like Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern time, the... Ball kicks off. Yeah. For the next four hours, we're covering a football game. And then for like an nice. hour after that, we're doing interviews and our nonsense videos down on the field and whatever. And then between... So then between midnight and like... I don't remember what time we get on a flight the next morning, but it's pretty early. Because we got to do a podcast. We're doing a podcast. We're driving back to Omaha. We're, we're not, hopefully not sleeping. More like napping, maybe. Yeah. We're writing other content... And we're getting on a plane and flying back to this part of the country. And I have to have the poll in by 11 a.m. And by the way, how much do you get paid for being an AP voter? Oh, 100% of zero. <laughs> the the thing I always wondered about, and, and Ralph Russo, it's he doesn't run the poll. He's the AP National College right. Football Writer. It's a tremendous guy. He's been on this podcast. I don't know why they don't wait and give you 24 hours and have the poll come out on Monday. To have the poll come out in the middle of NFL Sunday, I think is counterintuitive in the modern media world. You want it to come out on your day. Let it come out at 9 a.m. on Monday. Let it come out at 6 a.m. on Monday when it's your day and you give everybody a whole day to think. It would make the poll get more attention and it would make the poll better. There's, I think, two reasons why that doesn't happen and they're connected. I think it's because... Of well, it's maybe just one big reason. I think the TV networks that decide which game they're going to cover want to know as early as possible what the rankings are. TV ruins everything, except Joel Klatt. Uh Susan from the four hundred four says, "Which Ohio State units will be tested most against against Nebraska?" 
Um, do we think? Do we think that that what what offensively is going to be tested? Do you feel like that? Well, I think the O line could be tested okay. in a way that we haven't seen yet. I mean, we haven't seen a big physical, brutish defensive line. I'm not sure that Nebraska is fully that, but there's some athletes on the side of the ball. I mean, they're, last year they were not a good defense. I think they ranked 12th in the Big Ten in total defense for the season. Not a good defense. Right now, there's two teams that have six interceptions in the Big Ten. One's Michigan State and one's Nebraska. Nebraska ranks third in the Big Ten in uh, sacks. They are uh, kind of middle of the pack in... Um, in scoring defense, but again, I think that that's uh, the turnovers that they've had on offense have contributed to that a little bit. So it, it's a it's I think a sneaky, pretty good defense. It's a good answer. The Michigan defense has fallen off this season from the nine one nine. Was Greg Madison the real genius behind the Wolverine defense? And yes, Doug, this is a friendly time. Um, <laughs> the thing about that is, I think. People started figuring out the Michigan defense. I mean, they did. They started figuring it out late last year. Indiana figured them out a little bit the week before they played Ohio State. Ryan Day absolutely figured them out. Yeah, they're going to play man all day, so you go to crossing routes the entire game. And so, like, that, what, they, what they built themselves on, um, they lost some guys. But, like, I, I don't know that that's where I am because, yes, the other guys on your staff matter, but this has been Don Brown's defense. And, like, Don Brown got the credit when he was a coordinator last year, and then he got the blame when late in the year they fell apart, and he's getting all the blame now. I, I don't... They were already headed the wrong way, even when they had Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, and Devin Bush. Um, and, like, they haven't gotten it back. I thought it's like, well, okay, now maybe you learn from it, you make some changes, you get it back a little bit. The Ohio State defense is playing really well. Um, but I just think I just think a lot of what Michigan does, they're stuck because it's getting kind of figured out, and then when they're trying to change, they're not really changing, I think, maybe with belief. There's what we talked about last week offensively. They're stapling something with something on, and it doesn't actually fit. So, I, Well, one affects the other, too. When the offense is sputtering, your defense is on the field more, you're going to get worn down, you're going to be more susceptible. I mean, yeah. And that, that we've seen it in the way that Nebraska's turnover problems have hurt the defense— Michigan's offensive problems also hurt the defense. And Greg Madison stayed at Michigan. He was the coordinator there, and then Jim Harbaugh kept him on but made Don Brown the coordinator, and he stayed. Um, obviously, he had influence, and obviously Al Washington had some influence. But like, if, if, if you're asking me, I, there's two qu- it's a two-part question. Has Greg Madison helped make the Ohio State defense better? Yes. I mean, nobody could deny that. Not even me. Is Michigan's defense not playing well, particularly against Wisconsin, because is that because Greg Madison left? That I would say no to. That I would say there's more of a fundamental nature there at Michigan that Don Brown wasn't ready, they weren't ready. I don't know what Greg Madison could have done to have them get that defense ready. Wisconsin is Wisconsin, and Michigan didn't have a plan to stop it. So, um, I, I and I we could ask a Michigan writer, but. You know, I think a lot of those times, I mean, if Larry Johnson, Larry Johnson is not the coordinator for the Ohio State defense, if and when Larry Johnson retires someday, I mean, he's going to, and then if their defensive line doesn't play as well, it'll be like, oh, yeah, because they missed Larry Johnson, because he's really good. Greg Madison's been around a long time. I just don't know that it's quite the exact same comparison there. So, I don't know. Here is a scenario that I like scenarios and we'll play it a little bit. This is rolling. I like this. This is a good podcast so far. 
pause for an ad. No, I'm not supposed to say that. Wait, I'll put it in later because I don't want it to be pause for an ad, then there's an ad because the ad doesn't pop in. Listen, you might be getting an ad at the beginning. You might be getting an ad at the end. There might be an ad in the middle, but there was a podcast where I said, get ready for the ads. And then I think there were no ads. So I'm not going to say there's ads, but there might be ads. And they tell me because there might be an ad, leave a couple seconds of silence, but don't say now here's an ad. So I'm not saying now here's an ad. Writes down time. One, three, wait, one, oh, four, okay. Okay, we're back. If we'd ever left, who knows? What happens on Buckeye Talk? I just hope we made a nickel. Since you're not a fan, I'll make you an advisor in this scenario. An Ohio State fan is presented... I respect the framing of this question so much. My heart is a flutter. An Ohio State fan is presented with a button that he or she can press, and Ryan Day will be replaced as head coach by Urban Meyer again. Day will be gone. The fan calls you as their trusted advisor. What would you tell them? So you either get what you have right now, or you get Urban Meyer back. And in this scenario, to make it, I think, the most interesting it can be, you get back healthy, feeling good, reinvigorated Urban Meyer. How many years of Urban Meyer? So you get him back right now not knowing. But he he is in a spot where, you know what? My cyst is no longer an issue. I've I've figured it out. I can manage it. It's not completely gone, but I feel very good. I feel a hundred times better physically, mentally, and emotionally than I did at the end of last season. I am telling you, do not be worried about my health as you consider this. You are getting back the best of what 55-year-old Urban Meyer in 2019 can be. Do you take where they are right now, or do you have Urban Meyer come back and Ryan Day goes on to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL? I do not push the button, and I keep Ryan Day. Because you still just don't have any guarantee beyond, what, a year, two years, like, Ryan Day could stay here for an extended period of time. He could build into something. I don't know if you're ever going to have what Urban Meyer did, but nine losses in seven years or whatever, as we talked about, is just insanity. It doesn't happen anyway. There's no guarantee Urban Meyer is going to come back and continue to win at that same level anyway. I would rather take what you have here as a potential foundation for the future against a quick shot at salvaging the past. I'm taking Ryan Day one because he's the only undefeated head coach in college football right now. But more important, in his career, yeah, that's right, yeah, right. But more importantly, a lot of this that's happening is because of Ryan Day, whether he's like, you know, directly responsible or just like from a float. He's the reason the defense is playing like this. Obviously, you talked, you asked him about this multiple times. He had non-negotiable things, and those we see those non-negotiables working on the defensive end of the ball. They're playing the way that we expected them to play last season. I think. I think Dwayne Haskins fits Ryan Day more than Justin Fields did. At least at the beginning of the season, I thought that just because we all thought that he was a guy who just wanted to throw the ball all over the place. But he's shown that he adapts to his players. J.K. Dobbins is playing better. Four games in, Justin Fields is a Heisman candidate. Chris Olave looks like a first-round NFL draft pick. We all know what Garrett Wilson is already. Benjamin Victor is been, it's shown consistency throughout this entire season. We've seen tight end play. The only things that haven't like picked up yet, and a lot of that is because of how defenses have been playing them, is KJ Hill. Just because 
the crossing routes aren't there a lot of the times. One, because either Justin Fields wasn't throwing in the first week of the season or teams just haven't been set up where the crossing routes are open right now. But everything seems to be moving in the right direction. So why mess that up just because you want to bring somebody back? And by the look on your face, you're going to be the one guy who goes the other way. So go ahead. Slander. It's just absolute <laughs> freaking slander. One of the five, absolutely one of the ten, maybe one of the five best college football coaches ever, who's only 55. He's still around. We saw him again today. He goes for a walk in the afternoon. He just left. And everybody is so quick to be like, well, new guy's better. Yeah. New oh, I don't, I don't know that he's better. But what if, you know, if Urban Meyer leaves in two years again, the new, the renewed Urban Meyer, zombie Urban Meyer, comes back and decides again two or three years later that he's done, which he's done a couple times, by the way. I, he has walked away so a couple times okay, now. Okay, let's throw it in. That's this. not my argument. So that's what I was saying. There has to be a contest. Let's make it, most, let's make it the most interesting it can be because we want to make it a difficult decision. You can't predict the future, but I guarantee you get six more of Urban. I, you get, you get, he, he's, he's 55. So you get you get him back feeling good for at least six years. Who took an entire season to really get comfortable with his quarterback last year. And then you're you are you might get sued. You are about you might get sued. <laughs> I'm by just, Urban Meyer. He, it did. It took them a while to get comfortable with okay. the with a different type of quarterback. Urban, Urban so Meyer, by the way, definitely listens to this podcast. I'm not <laughs> sure about Brian Ferentz, but Urban Meyer definitely has that, a lot of I'm time not, on his hands. Okay, yeah, he's a legend. I'm not taking away from anything that Urban Meyer has done in his career. You are 100. You're just glad he's gone. But no, go I'm not glad he is gone. But the way he approached the game. Has changed now. The way to win a national... He set the standard for how to win a national championship in the late 2000s. And you saw everybody follow that. People are going away from that now. You're seeing the cycle of what type of quarterback it takes to win a national championship change now. And his the way he approached the game, it didn't require that. And it took him a while to get comfortable with a quarterback who, in today's world, wins a national championship. He, they admitted that. That's not slandering him. He's a legend. He changed college football. College football changed again, and in ways it took him a while to change with it. That's not a bad argument. It's not. It's it's slanderous, but it's not <laughs> a bad argument. Sorry, Urban, I'm not trying to slander you. So the things the things that I think, and Ari and Bill had a similar discussion uh, on their podcast this week. Um, Urban built a structure that Ryan Day is profiting from right now. Urban, Ryan Day did not have to create a recruiting department. He did not have to create a strength and conditioning comp- department. He did not have to create um, a nutrition department. He did not have to create uh, Real Life Wednesdays and all these off-the-field things that have act- absolutely propelled this Ohio State program um, in the modern day. Now, it's, the hard thing with all these discussions is, does Ryan Day get all the stuff? You know, if we're playing Urban or Ryan, would you take Urban or Ryan? Urban or Ryan? Part of the question is, well, does Ryan get all the stuff that Urban left him? Because in this scenario, well, yes, because you're just you're you're not hitting a button, you're keeping it right as it is. Ryan Day, and Ryan Day would agree with this, is absolutely profiting from the fact that Ron, that Urban Meyer left him a stable structure of a program that he could step right into. But that is the part that I think like whatever discussion we're having about this stuff. 
Like we have to take that into account some way. Even if you would say, I take it as it is right now because it's the best of both worlds. Because what this is, is the best of both worlds is part Ryan Day, part Urban Meyer. It's not 100% Ryan Day. And I don't know that 100% Ryan Day wouldn't be awesome, but that's not what this is right now. And at some point it will have to be 100% Ryan Day. The thing that I think is the more interesting question is, here's your choice. And again, we can keep changing the question, make as interesting as possible. You get Ryan Day and Urban Meyer goes to USC and takes Mickey Marotti, Mark Pantone, Ryan Stamper, and every bit of the personnel that he brought here. They're Urban people. They go with Urban. Right. Now, I'm not 100% sure they'd all go. They've all made, they've made lives in Columbus, but let's say they do. Urban takes the urbanness out of this program and takes it to USC, and Ryan Day has to build his own structure here. Or you hit the button and Urban comes back and keeps all the structure here, right? So that makes it a little more interesting. So I think, but the other thing is this, the thing that I think you have to ask yourself as you consider this question, I know that there are a lot of people that are considering offensive ingenuity and way the way this offense has changed and evolved under Ryan Day. And he gets a ton of credit for that. But Urban Meyer, when he hired his first offensive coordinator here, plucked a guy out of the cornfields of Ames, Iowa, that was kind of an up-and-coming guy, kind of a Mensa dude. He seemed like a smart guy, sharp dude. Urban Meyer wanted to run up-tempo. He had never run up-tempo at Florida. He wanted to get up-tempo. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to evolve. He wanted to change with the changing game. And the guy he picked was so good at it, he's the coach at Texas right now. When his defense failed his first two years, and they gave up a bunch of underneath throws against a zone, Playing a zone in the 2013 Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State, it made him sick to his stomach. He told the guy in charge of the secondary to leave, and he went and he stole Brett Bielema's defensive coordinator because that guy, when he was at Wisconsin, was a really good defensive coordinator. And Urban Meyer remembered that. Tom Herman remembered that. They brought in Chris Ash. Chris Ash changed this defense. They won a national championship the first year. Mike Vrabel left. Mike Vrabel left. He's a head coach in the NFL. Guess what happened? They got better. They lost a defensive line coach who's so good, he's now an NFL head coach, and they got Larry Johnson. Urban Meyer has evolved. Urban Meyer has changed with the times. Urban Meyer doesn't have to be the greatest current offensive mind in the game because I think he could get the greatest current offensive mind in the game to come work for him because he's done it a million times before. And you know what he did? You know one of the best things that Urban Meyer did? Hire Ryan Day. Why is Ryan Day here? Ryan Day said, well, the only school I'd leave, Ohio, I'd leave the NFL for is Ohio State. Why is that? Well, it's because it's a great big fan base. It's because Urban Meyer created a place that great coaches wanted to go. I talked about Urban Meyer finishing school a million times. I think if you had... Now, he would have had to fire his friend. He would have had to fire two of his friends. He would have had to fire the best man at his wedding and maybe his best friend in the coaching business. But I think they knew it was wrong, too. I don't know that Greg Schiano and Bill Davis would have been like, Urban, what are you doing to us? I think they would have said, Urban, we get it. We got it. This is not working. Well, and it, it may not have come. It may not have been a firing, too. It and they may have a, found a way, right? Right. That would have been hard. But Alex Grinch, everybody thinks, how? Oh, Alex Grinch, what a great hire. Ohio State lost him. It's the end of the world. He went to run Oklahoma's defense. He came here. He came to Ohio State to work for Urban Meyer's Ohio State. Now it got sideways. Ryan Day made a great hire in Jeff Hanfley. 
I think a healthy, smart, urban A would have had to evolve. So the question is, do you think he would have evolved? And if you think the answer is no, and maybe you think your answer is no, Stephen, and I get it if your answer is no. My answer is yes. And if you think he could evolve because he has evolved before and he's hired great people before, the structure he builds and the way he recruits. We don't know 100% about Ryan Day. We're making, there are a lot of people 100% on board with Ryan Day. Ryan Day is awesome. He is an awesome dude and an awesome coach. He is four games in. He's played nobody. And he was left an entire structure of a program to work with and a recruiting structure. And we have, he's recruited great so far. He's recruited great so far. Great so far. Man, they're good because Urban Meyer brought in the number two classes in the country in back-to-back years. That's why they're good right now. Chase Young picked Ohio State. Jeff Okuda picked Ohio State. Why? Well, Chase Urban picked, Meyer. Well, Chase picked because of Larry Johnson. If we're going to be, te- we'll be technical. Urban Meyer did all the stuff here. But I think... <laughs> but Ryan Day never had to do the things that Urban had to do, which is come into a dead program... Which is not, but I don't think either of, us, either of us were making the argument that Urban Meyer is not a great football coach and hasn't built a great system. It was all more. No, just I about, actually think I heard you both think, say that. I, exactly I, I think your <laughs> argument is a little unfair because that's like telling a rich uh, that's like uh, telling a rich kid to be that he should be ashamed because his dad made all this money and he gets to benefit from it and now he gets to run the company. But but, but my question is, but that is a very good analogy. But if you're tasked with choosing. Between a guy who inherited a million dollars from his dad and ran a company, or a guy who started with nothing and built a company, well, and you picked I mean, one that's of an easy them. choice because one of them's dead. I uh, yeah yeah He's dead. I think I my think, dad. No, Urban Meyer think, is not dead. I think that like no, but I mean, it. I think there's a potable to both because if he can take that million dollars and not screw it up the way some rich kids do, then yeah, it's a potable. He's not in a position where he has to come into an Ohio State program where it's completely disastrous because of everything that's happened two years prior and has to completely start from scratch. No, his job is to keep the train rolling. And so far, he's done a wonderful job of keeping the train rolling. At some point, the guy who built the thing has to step aside and allow somebody, because his ways will no longer work. That's when the new okay, guy so, comes so in. So let me, bring, let me bring this up, because this actually came up today, talking in the room. Okay. You can take yourself far enough down that road and everything we talk about is shades of gray. There's no black and white, but I'm going to make you. I'm going to force you into a, to a hard choice. Okay. There is. You can go far enough down that road that you would say, you know what? I'd fire every coach after ten years. I don't care how good they've been, <sighs> because my belief is that to stay fresh and new and not get stale and not risk hiring your friends and keep it, you've got to you've got to turn it over. So, okay. so. I get, well, and by the way, when I when I brought up the point that Urban Meyer has now walked away twice from, I don't know how people would do it without walking away every six or seven years. I mean, this is a as much as we work, yeah. those guys. It is just a relentless day in day out, just pounding on your soul in a way. Even if you're at a team that's winning a lot, that's that is if you're a team that's winning a lot. But and, and if you're losing it all, it's just I, but like Saban has done it. Yeah, but I Some think... Some guys can do it. In, right. in, Ur- to, in an applause to Urban Meyer, I think, just back to the analogy, if you find somebody who you feel like they're comfortable, you know, giving this up for, you do it. That's and the that's what decision. Urban did. Yeah, I don't think Nick Saban has found anybody yet. But Urban has. But and so he if, did it. But uh, uh, by the way, 
I mean, Nick Saban had Kirby Smart next to him for 15 years, and Kirby and he Smart didn't, was like, "Can I be the head coach now?" And he said, "No." He didn't. He, not I, because he didn't believe in him, because Nick Saban said, "No, I'm he, coaching until I'm 80." Get yeah, out of here. Urban obviously doesn't ha- didn't have that. Okay, obviously but, it wasn't health things, of course, but yeah, like. But if he was, I mean, there's there's some things you have to assume here, and and so like you have to if you're going to even have a discussion, you have to assume that Urban can handle it health wise, and he wants to do it. And I just sat in his office for 45 minutes, and he said, "I might have to get back into coaching." Because I might not be able to stop myself from doing it, right? That's a, yeah, so that's where we are with that. That's an unhealthy he, statement. He, but that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm just saying, I'm not saying Ryan Day is the wrong answer. I'm saying four games in, to me, if your answer is Ryan Day like that, I wonder if you're given Urban Meyer enough consideration. Okay, no, no. It's not a snap. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. It's just... Once I think about it, yeah, I'm going to choose the new guy. That's all. I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to choose I, I'm going to try to make the best choice for 10 years, not the best choice for Saturday or this season. Also, by the way, I would like to say that the old guy in the room who's been around for a long time votes for the old guy and the two new guys who have been here for less than a year vote for the new guy. I do think, though, you bring up a really good point. The other half of that question that's not there is, so Urban Meyer takes over the staff that Ryan Day has right now. Right. Which is Urban's staff. No. no. Not on defense. Not no, no, no. Defense. Oh, no. Well, not staff. I mean staff, the guys I talked about. But, right. But, 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 okay. but the actual football-like guys. So Urban Meyer, so Urban Meyer has, I mean, the offensive guys are Urban's guys. Mm-hmm. So those guys wouldn't but change. Outside, Day. outside of yours, uh, offensive guys are Urban. Right, so Ryan Day's right. gone and he hires the next Ryan Day. Now, yeah. he's gotten some wrong, but he's gotten a lot right. He probably, I mean, he would have hired Yurcich too. Yurcich is yeah. coming the same way. Yurcich is here. And then the defensive staff, he'd have Larry Johnson, right? And I think like Al Washington is like a completely reasonable hire for Urban Meyer too. Al Washington did know Ryan Day from Boston College, but he's a guy from Columbus. You take him from Michigan. Why is Greg Madison here? Why is Greg Madison here? Because he's Urban Meyer's friend who worked with Urban Meyer at Florida? Oh, yeah, right. So Greg Madison and Al Washington okay. would be here. But that's then, what I'm saying. That, 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 that change would have had to happen, too. It, You'd it, have to have those guys and, it, and Halfley. I think it would have. And they would have installed the defense maybe, that they're running now. Maybe it wouldn't have been Halfley, but it would have been somebody. It would have been a, well, a Halfley. Well, I think Halfley's a big guy. reason why this is happening on the No, I right know. Now. But again, Urban's missed on some. But And this goes back to an argument, which is another popular argument here on Buckeye Talk, and I'm sure we'll have it at some point. I don't know if you've been here for it. You have not been here for it yet. I have it every couple of years. It'll happen again when they renew the assistant coaches' salaries, and I rail against oh, yeah, paying yeah, assistant know, coaches yeah. because I think they're eminently replaceable, no matter how good they are, because the program is the guy at the top who makes everything happen and players. And assistant coaches are middle managers, and that is not an affront to middle managers. Well, middle managers get whacked. And... My point on all this, and people hate it when I say this, in a world where everybody else, everybody thinks players should get paid, when I say I don't think assistant coaches should be paying a million dollars, people come out with torches and set me on fire. How dare I say that an assistant coach who's not really in charge of anything other than 11 kids who aren't getting paid, I don't think he should get a million dollars. That makes me a jerk. I'll say this. They're replaceable. And Alex Grinch was the higher of the world, and Jeff Halfley's better. Mike Vrabel was awesome, and Larry Johnson's better. Luke Fickle couldn't live without him. Al Washington is awesome. Like, Ohio State hires good guys. They get some wrong. Sometimes you get a Bill Davis or a Tim Beck, and it sets you back. It's not a guarantee. 
You don't bat 100, but let me tell you, Ryan Day was awesome. So was Tom Herman. They had a crappy guy in between. But we act like we're... Here's what... You know, who, you know who Urban Meyer has hired to run his offenses in his career? The guys who are currently the head coaches at Florida, Texas, and Ohio State. He knows how to hire good people. He would have hired more good people. He got stuck on two friends on defense and it screwed him. I don't think that was a trend that couldn't have been fixed. I don't think that was, well, let's find another groomsman to hire and now you still your linebackers just can't play. Wedding party. I think it just got, <laughs> but also, and I made this point earlier, when everybody has a list, when you're a head coach, when you're a boss, everybody has a list. Gene yeah. Smith has a list. Yeah. Who's next? You know who has a list? Dave Campbell has a list. Our yeah. You have a list. Who's next? You know how many names are crossed off on Urban Meyer's list? Because how many people he's hired who have gone on? He can't hire Dan Mullen anymore. Ryan Day's list is fresh, which maybe goes to your point of, I want a new guy because he has a fresh list. I'm saying, you know what? If the guy who has 50 X's on his list is like 43 for 50 on the hires, I'm okay with him getting the number 51. If part of your argument is I'd rather have I'd rather have Ryan Day hiring number one on his list than Urban hiring number 51, I get it. But that, to me, you're dangerously close to I want a new guy instead of an old guy no matter what. I think, no, and that's extreme. I think it's... No, that's how you win arguments. You make it yeah, okay, but and yeah, box no, people no. in. Okay, he's fifty. He's gotten to fifty. Like eventually, that list is going to run out of names. But last time it was—I mean, he was way down the list, and he went and got the Iowa State offensive. And that's fine. Eventually, it runs out of names. Except the, then, when he did it again, he got Ryan Day. Like I said, it eventually high. runs out. Of, I didn't but, say it was going to run out of names in six why? months. But like, but I mean, like, but what's the proof that it runs out of names? He makes mistakes sometimes, but what's the proof that it runs out of names? There is no proof. And when you and your point is that when he made mistakes, especially recently, it was more personal, personal than it was professional. Hundred percent. So again, my my reason for picking day early when this question was first posed was again, if okay, you bring back Meyer, but then in a year when you have to make this decision again, maybe Ryan Day is not there to come in and be the successor. And now you know you have, I think, someone who is. I'm just taking the. I think I'm taking the more conservative answer, not kind of the more radical answer. The more conservative answer is, you know, you you think you got a pretty good coach here. You think you got someone who could maybe set or extend this foundation, extend this program success for another decade, and just pick up where Urban Meyer left off. Why would you take the chance of disrupting that and then having to start over again in two years? Now then we change the the. When you change it, it does swing it back maybe more towards Meyer. If you're if you're going to guarantee another six years of Urban Meyer to keep kind of perpetuating that, but I also think that sounds like a long time. If Urban Meyer does come back and coach, I don't know if I'd expect it to last six years. I'm picking Ray. Ray. Oh wow, Ray. Ryan Day. Ray Day. <laughs> yeah, Ray Day. Ryan Day for the radical reason. I like the young guy. Ray Dale. Is that Ray Dale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> End scene. Um, the Dales are coming for us. I love. I can. Oh God, my juices are flowing. I love discussions like that. Um, and and, and uh, my bottom thing in the end is, I think if you did it with Urban and it only lasted three years, I think by then you'd have somebody else who would be in place. You know, and that's maybe is a belief in that. It is Urban Meyer. I think is singular. Like there's not a million guys like Urban Meyer. I don't know if Ryan Day is singular. He's really good. He's really good. 
but is Ryan Day so rare and awesome that you have in this scenario, you're willing to like turn your back on a three-time national championship head coach because you feel like if we don't get Ryan Day now, we will not be able to get someone nearly as good two, three, four, five, six years down the line. No, but let's, also, but let's also not discount the way that this succession happened where you Ryan Day was able to come in and be here already, even get some head coaching experience the way that it not full head coaching, not running the program, but like being the head, being the guy out in front for those few weeks that Meyer was uh, on the sideline, or well, not even on the sideline, wherever he was for those games. Um, you know, I, I feel like that also could end up being a factor long term in the success that Ryan Day has. Uh, yeah, for a guy who's never been a head coach, like he didn't have to completely come in this summer with a "Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing." And so I'll make my last point on this because it's going to be so good. If Urban Meyer's cyst issues had pushed him to this point after the 2013 season and they had been forced, he had been forced to leave and he said, you know what, I feel okay about leaving because there's a guy here who I believe in as a leader, as an offensive mind, and as someone that can take this program forward. Tom Herman would have inherited a team stacked with so much NFL talent you couldn't freaking believe it. And in 2014 and 2015, Ohio State might have been really, really good. And everybody would have said, wow, Tom Herman is hot, is awesome. And Ryan Day would be the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator right now and never would have come to Ohio State. My point is this. I think if you applied the same logic, I think another Ryan Day would have come down the pike. Because you lost Tom Herman. And you thought, man, what are you going to do? And another guy came along. Now, you had to get through Tim Beck. But if your belief is you gotta, you got to take Ryan Day now, my bet is Urban Meyer tracks Ryan Days. And Dan Mullen, Tom Herman, Ryan Day, there's a trend there. I would believe in Urban Meyer. I'll take Urban Meyer as long as Urban Meyer can do it. Because I believe in the end, most of the time, not 100%, 80, 85% of the time, he's going to make the right hires and attract the right talent that when it is time, whenever that time is, whenever it is, somebody on his staff will be ready because Urban Meyer has helped make him ready. All right. Should the fans be worried about Justin Fields' ability to make good decisions under pressure? In previous games, he seemed to get rattled when pressured from the 6-1-4. You, have, you wrote something about this today about Justin Fields. He's going to have his back against the wall. Do you think there's a concern level there? Well, no, I think I, what I wrote was I believe that this is the game where you would expect that to happen more. I don't know that I agree that I feel like he got rattled when there was pressure. I mean, obviously there was the um, the strip sack that resulted in the safety against uh, Miami of Ohio this past weekend. He's taken a couple sacks, but I, I also think some of those were not necessarily him getting rattled. It's happened a couple times where he... I mean, either just because of indecisiveness or because he just didn't read the situation correctly, but kept the ball too long. It wasn't like he was just scatterbrained out there. Um, so obviously I'm not in his mind. I don't know exactly what happened on those plays. I, I just feel like he needs... I think you can sense that he knows it. I think he knows that it's not supposed to be this easy. It's not supposed to be as easy as it looked in those first few minutes against Florida and am It's not supposed to look... You're not supposed to be able to score 76 points on somebody. You're not supposed to crush Cincinnati 42 nothing. I think he knows that 
because he was at Georgia. He knows what Georgia looks like. He was there. He knows what Clemson looks like. He knows what Alabama looks like. He knows what the other great teams in the SEC looks like. He was on the sideline watching those teams. So he knows that what he's seen so far, what he has faced so far, is nothing compared to what Ohio State's going to have to beat in order to win a some kind of a championship this season, even a Big Ten championship, let alone the, the goals that they may have beyond that. So I think he is... I don't... Everything that you hear from the people in this... When you ask him, and I was asking people today, what you know when, when they have turned up the pressure in practice on Justin Fields, what impressed you the most? And nobody said, well, it was he could really run out of danger. Oh, he really knew how to just sling it into a tight window. They said it was his demeanor. They said it was his maturity. Those are the things that they keep coming back to. And I think it's, again, it's all speculative right now. We have to wait and see it actually happen. But that's what they're telling us is going to happen. They're telling us that they don't think this is a guy who's going to fall apart when the pressure comes. They think he may actually be able to thrive in it. I'm not predicting that will happen. I'm saying that's what Ohio State is telling us. I think multiple times on this podcast I said that I felt like the first couple few weeks of the season he would force himself to stay in the pocket a little bit more than he felt comfortable with. Obviously, he's like felt a lot more comfortable staying in there than taking off. I think this is the week he takes off a couple of times just because the threat of him being sacked is, I think, real in a way it wasn't in the first four weeks of the season. So the demeanor stuff is great. The poise is great. But I think this is the week where maybe he takes off instead of staying back there and being a little bit more patient. Right, but that's not necessarily – if he takes off running, that's not a – um, that's not no, a lack of poise no, yeah. or a lack of discipline. It may be – it's about picking your spots. And he may have been told – you don't need to run in these early games. Like, why Why do they need him sliding over the middle, potentially taking a whatever happened to Shea Hildebrand? Um, or, uh, Shea Hildebrand. <laughs> Shea Hildebrand is like I a... Switch back in the baseball mode there. Oh. If you're wearing a Cardinal shirt, isn't he like a failed like, oh. Red Sox switch hitter or something? <laughs> yes. He was like a, f- a former Red Sox infielder. Um, yeah, you know what I'm talking and about. And his brother, yeah. Londale Hildebrand. Yeah. But, uh, Doug, kind of to... I think Shea Patterson. Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry. I should have finished that thought. Shea Patterson got crushed there at the end of the yeah. Michigan game. Like, why would you put him potentially having that outcome against Miami of Ohio or Cincinnati or Indiana? Like, there's. I, I do think. I think you're right. I think we may see him run more, but I think he's also potentially, possibly been reined in a little bit because we keep asking. People keep asking him every single week. He comes up there on Tuesdays, and every single game time he's there after a game on Saturday, somebody asks him. Hey, when are you going to run some more? And he says, well, it depends on the game plan. Yeah. And I think it's he's I, I think he has been pulled back a bit. Yeah, Doug, to your point, you've kind of talked about the fact that sometimes you want to, you know, do something. Be Get a playmaker. Loose. Get loose and be a play. Like you said, sometimes, like you said it at the Indiana game, I think he felt dangerous. Yep. And so he did some dangerous things, even if it didn't always pay off. I think that felt dangerous, even though I'm still not comfortable with that statement because he keeps losing me fantasy football games. He'll be okay. I think that this is the week where that feel dangerous is actually just kind of let off the leash a little bit because it's going to have to. Um, I think those are good answers. We'll go a little quicker here with some of these. We're going to try to get them more. I like taking a half an hour detour for that Ryan Day Urban Meyer discussion. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I, we want to make sure you we, you get our sense of what we think about Nebraska. So I may detour off the questions and just get to like a final Nebraska wrap up at the end here. Um, 
I'll take this one quickly. It's another one from Kenny Stabler, and I, and I wanted to make a point on this. Sportsbooks have heavy, heavy odds that Urban will coach next year with Michigan as a possibility. Could that ever happen? Um, or do you say he's more likely he takes the USC job? And does Ohio State get hurt by the probable loss of Marathi and Pantone? Yeah, they would. Doesn't mean they couldn't find good people. Um, I mean, I think Ryan Day could, but like those guys are both really, really good at what they do. I think it would be hurt. I don't think he's going to coach next year, and that's based on like my firsthand conversation. It's not based on inside knowledge. Um, I think he wants to give this more of a shot than given one year off. When he took one year off before, a he knew it was temporary. This time he doesn't know it was temporary. And B, Ohio State came open. That's his one dream job. Now, I'm sure he'd be interested in Notre Dame. He might be interested in Michigan. He might be interested in USC. But none of those are the Ohio State job. And so it was a rare set of circumstances that don't apply in this situation. He's old. He didn't have grandkids then. He didn't have a son in college two hours down the road. There are family things in play here. There are lifestyle things in play here. And so I think you have to understand how coaches move through life with their families, with their wives, with their kids, with fitting their job into their life. Yes, the job takes precedent a lot of the time, but it is not the only consideration. There is a lot to keep Urban Meyer right here for another year or two. Nate playing baseball at Cincinnati is one of them. Two grandkids in Columbus is one of them. Now, the two grandkids are the sons of Corey Dennis, who was a coach at Ohio State, and Urban Meyer could hire Corey Dennis wherever he goes, and then his daughter Nikki could go with him, and the grandkids could be there, and that would be fine. So maybe that's a consideration that he can take care of. I don't think Nate's going to transfer. Nate likes it at Cincinnati. So, I mean, like, you just have to think about these things. I always thought that Urban Meyer wouldn't think about anything else until Nate was done in high school, because he always said, they told the kids, we won't move you in high school. That might sound silly, but it's real. I just, I don't think he's going to jump at the first thing. And the other thing that I would say is, are we sure USC is the great, perfect job? I just fired their athletic, well, the athletic director left. I'm now, that's a big thing. Them. You know, if you get like, I don't even know what Jeremy Foley's doing, but Jeremy Foley, the former AD at Florida, I think he was not an AD right now. They hired Jeremy Foley. He, it matters a lot who your president is. It matters a lot who your AD is. Urban has a great relationship with his athletic director at Ohio State. I think he didn't have a great relationship with the president at the end. All that stuff matters a lot. But why jump at USC when, I mean, what? What? there's going to be something else. Yeah. There's going to be mean, something else. USC isn't USC he right now. He doesn't have to jump. And right now, his really good friend is getting his butt kicked in LA. So are you sure that that's where you want to go? Because the thing that you have to keep in mind with all this stuff is that if Urban Meyer's going to leave retirement, he's got to win. Right. What he cannot stomach is going out and losing. Clint doing all the stuff that risks his health and losing? Chip Kelly is losing to everybody. Now, USC's in a better position than UCLA. I'm not sure that USC is overnight. They have talent there. They have a recruiting base. They should be better. Well, yeah, if, if you hit it at USC... You hit it yes. big, usually. Pete Carroll, you know, what they were... every Pretty much every decade, it seems like they have a spike where they something good happens. So, you I mean, go back to the 60s, 70s. I mean, they were one of the great powers in the country. So, it's it can be done there. It, for sure. But is it a guarantee? Are we? Is it? Do you guys think it's a guarantee that if Urban Meyer goes there with all of his powers as a coach, that he gets it right? No. Not overnight. 
because no, and part part of that is the Pac-12 is just not a good conference. Out and then USC is at like the bottom of like a very not good conference right now. So I mean, they should be the power. They should be the power. They should be better than Washington, better than Arizona, better than they're not the USC that like I watched when I was seven, showing my age, watching Reggie Bush. When his now vacated high school. Because the whole point is if Urban goes there, can he get him back to that? Can yeah. he get him back to the Pete Carroll USC? Like, maybe. But I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as when you go to Florida. He picked Florida over Notre Dame. He knew he could go to Florida and recruit like a maniac. When he came to Ohio State, it's his dream school. He knows he can come to Ohio State with all this tradition. It had a one-year blip, but it was still healthy under Jim Trestle. He's going to, he'll be going to a sick program. So he's going to leave all this stuff. He's going to leave his son in college, his grandkids, being on TV, which he likes and is trying to be good at. He's going to leave all that to maybe turn USC around. I am telling you, I don't know any of this for sure. And everything I know, I've written. I don't have any secrets. But not a lot of people have been in that office with that guy and talked to a guy, that guy about this. And I have. I don't think he's coaching next year. I think he very well might coach again. I do not think he's coaching next year. And you can play this back when I'm wrong, because as you may have realized, I'm often wrong about things. Well, we also don't but know the USC. We also don't know for sure the USC job is going to come open. I mean, there if are, Urban was say, if Urban yeah. said, "I will take it," they would throw they Clay Helton in the Pacific Ocean tomorrow. <laughs> okay, yeah. probably. 100%. But I also think, I mean, isn't it possible that there are other destinations? Like you said, I mean, it's. Why, why take the first thing that's open, even if it is semi-desirable? Because the next time, I mean, one of these SEC jobs comes open. Yeah. Now, again, the, SEC, be on the, short list. the SEC was really stressful for him because, like, the SEC, you have the greatest chance to win, but those also have the greatest pressure to sure. win. They're not a million jobs. They're not. And USC would be as high as almost any of them. But I don't know that it's a guarantee. i got to go now. Yeah. I, um, agree. I agree with the notion of, like, I don't know if he's in the business of trying to, you know, write a ship anymore. Top to bottom, I'll take this one because I'm old. Two one six, I'll make it quick. Top to bottom, head coach and assistants combined. Is this the best Ohio State coaching staff since 2014? Bonus, how would you rank the staff compared with the ones you saw in the Trestle era? I mean, 2014 is the standard. I don't think it's as good as 2014. 2014, it's Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, Chris Ash, Luke Fickle on the defensive side of the ball. And it's Tom Herman, Ed Warner, Zach Smith. They're better there. Stan Drayton um, on the offensive side of the ball. Like, that's a really good staff. Again, that's a staff that, that Fickle and Ash and Herman are all head coaches now. Um, Warner was a really, really good offensive line coach when he was here. Larry Johnson is great. Kerry Combs was a difference maker in the secondary. So I don't think they're as good as 2014. Um, the 2015 and 16 staffs included Tim Beck. So obviously they're better than that. And the 2017 and 18 staffs included Bill Davis. So obviously they're better than that. So, like, that's my answer on that. They are better than the Jim Trestle staff. Jim Trestle's staff was loyal. I didn't think Jim Trestle's staff was particularly innovative. They were loyal. Um, you know, I had Jim Bowman on the offensive side of the ball. He had his brother, Doc Trestle, on the offensive side of the ball. Daryl Hazel was a really good coach here. Jim Haycock was a good defensive coordinator with Luke Fickle. But I think Jim Trestle um, leaned more on himself, especially offensively, um, because he didn't quite have his, uh, quite as many, I think, top-shelf assistants um, as Ohio State has had um, under Urban Meyer and under Ryan Day. And you look at Joe Daniels was a really good quarterbacks coach for them, and then Joe Daniels sadly got sick, and they ended up with Nick Siciliano, who was overmatched and is out of coaching. 
um, as a quarterbacks coach for Terrell Pryor, and that helped set things sideways there. So Urban Meyer made some iffy hires every now and then, but um, I, I would say this is <clears throat> the best staff since 14 because top to bottom, I don't think there's a weak link here. I think Zach Smith was a lingering weak link here for a while, um, and as much as I just talked about all the great hires Urban made, he did have a couple of stinkers in there as well. Tom in the 614, I know this week will probably show us more, but it appears that this year's team under Ryan Day seems a lot more prepared than teams under Urban. Sometimes we would struggle in the first half against inferior opponents under Urban, even though we would always get the, he would, he, we would always get the job done. What is your feeling on whether this team looks like a college football playoff caliber team just based on how they appear to be prepared and playing fast? First of all, that's slander. Uh, second of all, let's do a quick answer on this from both of you. Not like one word or anything, but just a quick thought. Does this look like a college football playoff team? Not will they get in when you watch them play? Do you think, yes, they could play in the playoff? They could compete in the playoff. I'd put them on the field with yes. any of the top four teams in the country. I'm going to say yes because of what I think is just the undeniable talent level of this defense and the way that it's executing right now. I still have questions about when this offense goes up against an upper division team but I or up you know an upper level team I don't have that question about this defense I think Chase Young Jeff Okuda the rest of this you know the depth that they have on the D-line and we talked about the the talents in the secondary and what's emerging at linebacker I think they can probably hang with just about anybody as long as the offense can keep up its end of the bargain and that's where I do still have some questions because they just have not been put in adverse situations hardly at all this year. I'm going to say yes simply because I feel like for four straight weeks we kept going. The team they're playing this week is better than the team they were playing last week. And even if that was a true statement, like I don't think any of us thought that they were going to beat Cincinnati 42 to nothing. Like I, I, we thought they'd win, but I don't think 42 to nothing was in play. The only one, the 76 to five, I think is the only one where like after the game we went, oh yeah, that was going to happen. Like the other ones. We knew they would win, but we didn't think they would win in the manner that they've won. So by that manner, yes, they are a playoff team. From the 615, what, if anything, is there to glean from the success of Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin in the NFL, but that they had less of an impact at Ohio State? Mostly what you glean is that Urban Meyer was kind of a coach who liked to run the ball with a quarterback run, and part of it is whenever you talk about the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State, you have to talk about JT Barrett. And JT Barrett was a very, very good quarterback in a lot of ways. He was not a great quarterback throwing the ball. And he was mostly the guy throwing to both those guys. So Terry McLaurin looked a lot better with Dwayne Haskins than he did with JT Barrett. Um, and Michael Thomas, so I, I think they're different. I think Michael Thomas was a fully formed NFL ready, could have been a top 10 pick if he had played in a different offense college football player. And the NFL missed on him because they misread him based on Ohio State's offense. That was a huge misread by the entire NFL and everybody on this beat who covered him knew how good he was, but he only had like 600 receiving yards because they didn't throw him the ball. Oh, it worked out okay for him in the long run. Yeah. It, it did, and it's, but, it's, it's, but that's a miss by the league. I characterize he and Terry differently. Terry, I think, was more of a long-term development. Terry played a lot. I don't think Terry was great when he started playing. He started playing pretty young when he was working in in like 2016. Um, when they were trying to throw the ball more with JT, I don't think the receivers played great that year. He got better and better and better. I think he got better between the end of his senior year and the combine and the NFL. I think he improved himself because there's a throw that I still have never written about. I have it saved on my computer. If he makes a touchdown catch in the Purdue game, if he fights for the ball, Dwayne's a half second late on a throw on a little out route in the end zone in the first quarter, Terry McLaurin makes that catch and changes the game. 
But he didn't fight for the ball. He didn't get the right body position. He didn't snatch it. If you watch the NFL this weekend, he's snatching it, man. You can't get... That guy's unstoppable. He won't let himself be stopped. He was always fast. He was always smart. He's better. Everybody on this beat thought he was going to be awesome. I thought he was overplayed. I didn't buy it as much because I didn't know that I saw the in-game aggressive go fight for the ball and be a stud every play. I thought he was a fast guy and a smart guy who I thought maybe it wouldn't all come together when you're playing against the very best athletes in the world. And it's come together in three weeks. He's doing things in the NFL people have never done. What it mostly tell, I think it mostly, honestly, it's a JT Barrett question. And that is not a criticism of JT Barrett because he led, he ran, he was tough as hell. All that mattered a ton. That's why they won with him. But in terms of like making your receivers look good for the NFL, didn't happen. You saw the best of Michael Thomas during that three-game stretch when Cardell Jones was the quarterback. He's awesome. That's what you saw. Well, All you but, needed to but, see from Michael Thomas. Okay, but Thomas. let's remember. Let's okay. Michael Thomas had, as you're saying, not a great passing quarterback at Ohio State, and then he went to the NFL where he has Drew Brees. Absolutely. Yeah. Like okay, let's let's let that be a factor too in how good Michael Thomas and, turned and out. To be. Thing, Michael I, Thomas had gone to the Miami Browns, the, Browns, or the Browns because that's the big miss people bring up all the time. The Browns picked Corey Coleman as the first receiver yeah. drafted in that draft, and Michael Thomas was like the fifth receiver taken. Right. And then people say, well, would he have been Michael Thomas with the Browns? You, of course. Drew Brees helps. Right. Absolutely. Like, right. Like, I, just because I, I wrote something in the spring about this, about just, yeah, the quarterback matters. To the, as far as, like, you went from, like, a quarterback who can't throw to, like, probably the best top top five quarterback of all time. But, like, some of that is Michael Thomas is just that good. It, certainly he is. And there's a, you know, you still have to, you know, climb the depth chart in that NFL receiving yeah. room, which, which says something. But I'm just saying, that alone uh, helps yeah. you get the production you're having now. And the same thing with McLaurin. Also, remember last year, um, I think even Alston Mack brought this up today where somebody, people were asking him today about, like, the the reps and, like, how you're not getting, you know, how it can be tough to be a receiver here. And he basically said, you know, we have to remember that last year, I can't remember if it was McLaurin or Campbell he brought up, only had, like, 35 receptions. But it wasn't there, Campbell. It was, McLaurin, it was Campbell, yeah. So, but, yeah, so he goes, so he goes on to, the, both those guys are fairly high NFL draft picks. They're catching touchdowns in the NFL the beginning of their rookie seasons. So I think this is also just a system that isn't built for a guy to go out and catch a ball 80 times necessarily. Not, right now. And especially wasn't under yeah. Urban Meyer. Correct. It may become more so under Ryan. Look at how good Chris Olave is. He's catching, well, what, three balls a game? Yeah, I mean, to his point, I don't, it's still really not because of the talent now than it is because of the scheme. And, and it's part of the thing, when you're getting compared to Big 12 receivers who are in offenses where they're throwing it 55 times every game. And they don't rotate as much. And you're targeting a guy, and it's like, well, you had 18 targets. So that's, I mean, that's a misevaluation by the Browns. Corey Coleman, he's a Baylor receiver. Baylor receiver? They, 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 that's barely football. The other thing you remember here, too, is it's it, the NFL draft process, it, it's not just what stats you put up in college. It's what you do at pro day. It's what you do when scouts are coming to look at you in practice. Who threw the Not just in games, it? but in practice. And it's also, you know, when you've got Urban Meyer, he's got contacts in the NFL. When scouts are talking to him, he's going to tell them, hey, I know that we haven't used Michael Thomas, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin and that who, much. But still these missed. guys are legit. Yeah, okay. Who was yeah. Michael Thomas's quarterback on pro day? You know what? Because Terry had Dwayne... Yeah, they pretty much had their offense. I mean, I out guess there. it was Cardale. Okay. Yeah, and there was, but there was a time one time Troy back, Troy Smith came back one time and threw the guys on pro day. Okay. I don't think it was that year, but Cardale came out that year. Okay, because so I just know like last, year, like they had their offense out there on pro day. 
Yeah, no, they yeah, they, yeah, they had that line. Literally. All right, so I want to get to one more. Um, we just can't get to them all. We just can't get to them all. I'll, I'll try to answer some of these on texts, responding individually if I can, and I'll respond in the group text maybe, and maybe I'll do a post at cleveland.com. There's a lot of good questions. We got derailed, and I think it was a, a worthy derailment. It's a Ben Victor question, first of all. Ben Victor from the 937 could end this season and his career as one of Ohio State's great wide receivers. He could fairly easily get to 1,600 career yards, 20-plus TDs, be top 10 in single-season receptions, top 12-ish in his career, um, with the greater yards per catch than David Boston, Michael Jenkins, and Ted Ginn. How does that gel with the narrative that have generally surrounded his career, such as he has underachieved and occasionally been lazy or lack focus? I don't think I don't I don't want to say that lazy thing. I think he's been inconsistent. I think is the best way to say that. He's had high, really high moments and really low moments. So I think he. Um, I just don't think it was an every down. Like we need some tough yards here. We know we can rely on Ben Victor. I think he's grown into that. Um, he made the great catch against Penn State last year. We've talked about that. Here's the thing with records and all this kind of stuff. The best guys leave early. The guys who are not great right away stay and can compile. So he's going to be a compiler here. So wherever he ends up, ends up statistically, he is not as impactful as a lot of the guys that have come through here. So like whatever it says, Ted Ginn's a completely different kind of player. Um, when Ted Ginn was drafted, I thought that was a misdraft. To take him ninth in the, in the draft, he's had a great long NFL career. He's never been a number one receiver in the NFL. He's not a number one receiver. Not a number two receiver. So he, he's like a speed guy that you run down the field and let loose on special teams. He is not Julio Jones. He is not a, a primary top dude that you take and say, we're going to rely on him. So that was a misread by the NFL. The NFL is dumb sometimes. Michael Thomas was so much more a number one NFL receiver coming out of Ohio State than Ted Ginn was. But Ted Ginn Jr. was like .3 faster in the 40. Yeah. So he goes ninth and Michael Thomas goes 47. Yeah, but that depends on what the draft class is. It depends on who needs a receiver that year. They missed on factors. Also, it's a huge whiff. Receiving, I don't oh, think receiving Thomas. records matter at Ohio State for another 20 years because they didn't start passing the ball until like Plus, 2001. Yeah, I mean, there's so, a lot of... Uh, and we've talked about this before. JT Barrett was setting Ohio State records, and he was 100th all-time. Yeah, they took away Haskins the 14 games and almost obliterated they played. They're just playing a different kind of football, and they're, they're playing new football now. All right, so I wanted to get to that. I, I want to just get to the end here. I want us to give one final evaluation of this Nebraska game. And I apologize for all the questions we didn't get to. There's too many good questions. Uh, I hope it does not discourage anybody from signing up for text. At cleveland.com slash OSU, there's all kinds of banners there you can click on, or you can go straight to projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. We read them. We appreciate them. We can't always get to all of them. I will try to do a better job of responding in another way if we can't get to them on the podcast. But I got to tell you, football keeps you busy. And I, actually, we should say the Saturday postgame podcasts are very often all questions. Yes, I mean they're all all questions. We have fallen into like we're basically yes. all questions all the time because again, a serves our audience. B means we don't have to think. Um, what is our final evaluation? We always do outrageous predictions in a video on Thursday at cleveland.com/osu and a final game picks video on Friday on the website. We're not going to necessarily give. We're not going to give our scores, but I want people to come away from this podcast having a very strong idea from all three of us as thoroughly as we can convey it of what we believe about this game and what we think might happen on Saturday and how this might play out. Nathan, let's start with you. You've done the greatest film review. 
this week with what you, you did. We reviewed the whole Nebraska-Illinois game and wrote that up at Cleveland.com. I would go and, and uh, suggest everybody go look at that. You ran through five players on Nebraska that Ohio State should be concerned about. Do you believe this will be a game? Yeah, it will definitely be more of a game than we've seen, and I think it could vary. There's a, there's a percentage of me that thinks it will be a, quote, a game. Um, at least a game that is in the balance in the second half, which is a foreign concept for Ohio State this season. Um, I think it's going to come down to a couple things. Nebraska, we can look at Nebraska and say they would be really impressive right now. They would have blown Illinois out of the stadium if they hadn't turned the ball over four times. They keep turning the ball over too much. They have more turnovers than they have takeaways this year. It's not a good ratio. But, so you could say that's how great they would be if they didn't do that. But they are still the team that keeps doing that. They're the team that keeps shooting themselves in the foot. If they can stop giving up a couple of big plays here and there on defense, they could potentially be considered a really good defense, but they do keep giving up those big plays. I think if Nebraska rises to the occasion, I think this is teasing something that you're going to explore later this week. Nebraska is one of those teams that when it plays its best, if it shows up and really just nails it one night, Ohio State could be in trouble. If it doesn't also, you know, if it has any kind of a drop-off. Now, how likely are those things to happen on this given Saturday? I don't know. But I I just think from having watched Nebraska a couple times, from having watched how they finished last year, I was not convinced about Nebraska. I did not pick them to win the West. I did not think they were better, a more talented team than Wisconsin. Not to pat myself on the back. Looks like I was right. But (laughs) But I pat myself on the back. But but I think that Nebraska is still trending in the right direction. And not, again, I I already wrote it, but just like Iowa a couple years ago, just like Purdue last year, they're the kind of team that can jump up and bite you when they put it all together on one night and a couple things go wrong. I'm not saying it's going to be 49 to 20 or 55 to 24. That would really shock me. But I would not be shocked if Nebraska won on Saturday. I don't think they will. I think Purdue. I think Ohio State still wins. But I would not be shocked. I think Nebraska to be. I picked Ohio State to go eleven and one this season. And I picked Nebraska to be their one loss. Nebraska showed me that maybe I was an idiot, but that's okay because the game still has to be played. I think this game comes down to like a similar situation that Ohio State had with Indiana, and mostly because Nebraska turns the ball over a lot. I also had a six-minute stretch in that game where they scored 23 points. They got a safety, and they scored three touchdowns. I think if Ohio State can have a stretch like that again, I think that's the backbreaker that wins them the game. I don't know if that's going to happen in second. I think it'll be a second-half type of thing if it does happen to where they come out in maybe the third quarter and their defense really turns up the knob a little bit and gets their offense a couple more possessions where they can turn in a six-minute stretch that can win them the game. Okay. I've been talking about Nebraska since the summer. You guys know that, and you're sick of it. Here's what I think has happened possibly in the minds of some Ohio State fans in evaluating this game. Um, I think Nebraska may have been overrated. Nebraska probably was overrated by me and other people who picked them uh, to win the West going into this year. They, They maybe, just looking at the roster and the structure of things, maybe didn't deserve that. Maybe Iowa or Wisconsin deserve that more. So I do think it's possible that they were overrated. But I think the fact that they, on the scoreboard, struggled with Illinois and that they lost to Colorado has now caused them to be underrated. And so I think we have swung both ways. Yes. So I think it is valuable for us to swing you back toward their good. Because I think if your reaction to like, 
freaking dubs and Nebraska when he had that Nebraska writer on in July and that Nebraska writer Sam McEwen was talking about Adrian Martinez and saying oh, Adrian Martinez is the best quarterback in the Big Ten he's going to be better than Justin Fields and like it's ridiculous they lost to Colorado and they almost lost to Illinois I get that instinct we said a lot of stuff that doesn't really sound right right now Sam's really smart and I think Sam is was right in a lot of stuff Adrian Martinez is really good He's probably not the best quarterback in the Big Ten because it probably is Justin Fields. He's the second best. Like, he is definitely the second best. He is dangerous. Yes. He can run. He can make throws at crucial times. He is going to hit them in the called run game. They're going to run zone read. I think he does a decent job in the zone read. You don't know where the ball is. They're going to run quarterback draw and pop stuff up the middle. And, and there's going to be stuff... And here's the thing you've got to remember about this Ohio State defense. Jeffrey Okuda, stud. Chase Young, as good of a defensive player as I have seen here in 15 years. Davon Hamilton, B.B. Landers, Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, the guys in the interior, we've talked about that. Great depth at tackle, right? No All-Americans there. Linebackers, Malik Harrison's really good. Pete Warner has played really well. Tough Borland, hey, it's a good, solid football player. Baron Browning coming along looking great. I'm not sure there's any of all, all Americans there. Malik Harrison might be. Safety, Jordan Fuller, love him. Eh, I don't think he's Malik Hooker, right? Let's see the secondary get tested. There are like four studs on this defense. I'd say Okuda, Young, Harrison, and then maybe Wade. Maybe four studs. Another Maybe wide. wade in some growing studs on the other side of that end combination. So I mean, what? The, this, the guys who are emerging as the other defensive end opposite Chase yeah. Young, I think, are trending but in that like, direction. Yeah, but like for right now. But today, are, you're today. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think it's possible that... No, I don't think they can throw on Jeff Okuda. I don't think they can handle Chase Young. They might be able to pop some stuff in the middle on the tackles. They might be able to throw some stuff in the middle of the field on the linebackers. They might be able to hit some deep balls on this secondary. Ohio State's really good. They haven't been tested. Justin Fields is really good. He hasn't been tested. I think this defensive line for Nebraska can get a decent amount of pressure. I think this Ohio State offensive line is good. Is it great? I don't know. I think it could be great. Is it great right now? Maybe. J.K. Dobbins looks really good. Looks really good. They'll have a defensive plan to try to take him away a little bit. I think Nebraska's good. I think in its own way, I was just looking up the last time, and, and to what Nathan said, I'm going to try to write this story about how many teams in the Big Ten at their best can beat Ohio State. There are a lot of teams that their best is never good enough. They have, Indiana hasn't beaten them in 35 years. Indiana's best is never good enough. Indiana hasn't played like crap against Ohio State for 35 years. It's just that when they're good, it's still not good enough. I think in, in, in its own way, and Stephen has made this point. Wisconsin's really good. I think it's possible the best of Nebraska is more of a problem for Ohio State than the best of Wisconsin. Maybe because of just what it is. And here's the other thing I'll tell you. You asked before, do you think Ohio State looks like a playoff team? And we said yes. I've seen Nebraska play a couple times. Nebraska does not look like a college football playoff team. Nope. But, again, go back. I'm not just trying to plug my own work. I do need the clicks, but I'm not just trying to plug my own work. <laughs> Go back and look at what I wrote this earlier this week about, or actually I guess it just popped today, about the playoff situation and does a loss to Nebraska. Go look at the teams that made the playoff with one loss to an unranked team and look at some of those teams they lost to. Good programs, but not necessarily 
great programs. They weren't the teams that got in with one loss didn't necessarily lose to the number eight team in the country, the number twelve team in the country, the number you know, other highly ranked teams. Sometimes you just lose to other good teams that are a level below, and that's what this Nebraska team is to me. I think in two thousand sixteen, um, I remember this. I was sitting on a park bench uh, on the way to Penn State. And I was thinking about picking Penn State to beat Ohio State in that game. And I talked to one of my friends who covers Penn State, and he said, you're nuts. No way. James Franklin, I think if James Franklin had gotten beat badly in that game, I think they would have started, I think he would have been on the hot seat. There were questions about whether James Franklin was going to get it done at Penn State. And Penn State, at a key moment for its program, um, got some guys healthy, played its best game, Got a special teams play and beat Ohio State. They weren't better. They ended up being really good. That's what a guy named Saquon Barkley. There's no Saquon Barkley in Nebraska. But sometimes there's a moment when a program needs a win. Nebraska's been in the... I was going to say like in the out... I almost said a swear word. They've been in the outhouse for like... <laughs> since Tom Osborne. They've been struggling. Scott Frost is their savior. He's their savior. He's the anointed son who came back to revive them. And if he's going to do that, he needs to show something. This is the absolute... I don't even know when the next... Can we look this up? What do they play again? Ohio State and Nebraska, I don't going to play for a while. I don't know. This is Scott Frost's moment. Now, will he rise to it? Maybe not. Jeff Brom rose to it. James Franklin rose to it. Will Scott Frost rise to it? He doesn't even have to win. He has to show Nebraska fans that he can be the savior of this program. Jim Harbaugh has not risen to those. He almost beat Ohio State in 2016, but Jim Harbaugh has not gotten those big wins. The next time they play is 2021. Okay. Which is in two years. So it's only one year off. So it's not like he's never going to get a chance again. No, I'm I'm wrong. They play next year, too. They do? In Ohio State. So he has to wait a whole year. (laughs) But then they have a break after that. I think they have a long break. I think, probably. Yeah, I think after 2021, there is a break. Yeah, there's a break after 2021. There's Scott Frost only yeah. has three more chances to beat Ohio State. <laughs> By the way, have either of you actually used an outhouse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have actually. I have. Okay. I thought maybe I'd be the only one with the table. That Next is, week. Uh, used an outhouse. Farm Tales with Nathan Baird. <laughs> I think we could get into that. I would. My my wife's family, there's a lot of farmers in there, so, so I would do that. Uh, do you have good farm tales? Oh, I've got nothing but farm tails. Balin hay, walking beans, detasseling. My wife's a detasseler. Yeah. Me, my wife and you. you oh, it's from Iowa, right? Yeah. Oh, what does that that's like, mean? That's like <laughs> what that's like the most like lucrative what? job in the state of Iowa, probably, is detasseling. What is this code that you're talking about? I grew up in a place where there were streetlights on every road. Yeah. I grew up in a town with no streetlights at all. I spent the night in the country one night and like hated my life. I was 12. <laughs> I hated it. Hear too many animals. It's ridiculous. Is there a road trip that we will make at some point that it would make <coughs> sense to drive through your hometown? If we ever go, whenever Ohio State goes back to Illinois, or if they were to go to Iowa and we were going to drive that, but I don't think we. That's yeah, that's, that's a terrible bad. drive when I lived in Indiana, let alone oh, now. No. Okay, so we'll drive to your house when we go to Illinois. All right, so I want to finish on this. So next year, I, I totally. I mean, again. I couldn't have been more wrong about this season the way it looks so far, right? I'm Mr. Nine and Three, but I'm telling you this not as a guy who picked them to go nine and three, and not as a guy who included the Nebraska loss in one of those losses. 
This is flat, straight evaluation in the moment. I think Nebraska's pretty good. And so I am encouraging you as an Ohio State fan because it's a win-win for you. Go into this game thinking Nebraska's pretty good. I'm going to take Nebraska in the points, whatever it is, 20, 18 and a half, whatever it's going to settle at. I'm taking Nebraska in the points because I think this is like a two-touchdown or a touchdown in the field goal game. I'm not going to pick Ohio State to lose. I'll tell you that now. I will tell you I'm going to take Nebraska with the points. If you're an Ohio State fan and you go into this game and you respect Nebraska, you understand that Scott Frost is smart. You understand that Adrian Martinez is dangerous. You understand they have multiple skill position guys, and their defense, I think, is pretty decent. If they hold on to the ball, that's a big if, I think it's absolutely a game. I think it is not impossible for Ohio State to lose. And I'm not trying to cover myself a million different ways. I don't care whether I'm right or wrong. I'm trying to tell you. Go in, respect Nebraska. That way you'll be prepared if it's a game. You won't say, where did this come from? And I will tell you this. If this Ohio State team goes on the road to Nebraska and beats them by 50, you should have no doubts. All the things, all the caveats, this is a caveat crusher. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. You don't have to wait for Wisconsin. You don't have to wait for Northwestern or Penn State or Michigan or the Big Ten Championship game or anybody else. I don't care what the rankings are. This is a real team and a tough place to play in a game that they need with some real college players who have skill and are well-coached. If Ohio State does kick their butt, your team is legit. And if they can go to Nebraska and beat Nebraska by six touchdowns, they can play with Alabama, they can play with Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, LSU, and anybody else. So, don't be flippant. Don't look at the Illinois game that was close. Don't look at the loss to Colorado and say these guys are a fraud because there's, there's no reason for you to do that. This is a proud program that's trying to get it back. And I think Scott Frost is the right guy. I don't think Mike Riley ever was the right guy. I think below, Bo Pelini was good, but he was never going to get him over the top. I think Scott Frost has a chance to be the right guy for them. But if he's going to be the right guy, it, there's a possibility. Well, it'll be 10%. There's a possibility it starts on Saturday night. So I would encourage you to have respect for, for Nebraska. And that's not based on preseason. That's, bas that's based on me watching the Colorado game for an hour and a half. And if I do that much work, I want you to listen to it. No, I will say, like, I, the line came out at 15. By midday Monday, it had moved to 17 and a half. Then I watched the thing right after that, watched the, the Illinois game, because I think the score, people saw the score of that Illinois game, and that's why the line moved, maybe. I want those 17 and a half points. Well, it's at, it's at 18 now. It's okay. Yeah, okay. So, and again, if Nebraska fumbles three times in the first quarter, lights out. Right. you got to hold on to the ball. And there's some luck to turnovers, and there's some thing to forcing turnovers. But I think if they hit, if they hold on to the ball, I think they have good enough players to make it a game. All right. We're sorry for the questions we didn't get to. We appreciate you guys for listening. We have a lot of stories coming this week. Steven was at Basketball Media Day on Tuesday. We're gonna have, we have a, he has a basketball story up now. Um, basketball is coming. So get ready for that. We got a lot going on here. We got three people spending an awful lot of time writing about the Buckeyes and talking about the Buckeyes too. So we appreciate that. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that. Drop the iTunes reviews. I would like to get back into the form of uh, maybe reading some of the reviews. Um, although there was a long one today about me driving people away. And it was like part of a review that was like pretty good, 
There was some criticism in it, and then the conclusion that was that in the end, Doug is going to drive the two of you away anyway. So what does it matter? Because like uh, us two? Yeah, but I'm going to drive oh. you away just like I've driven away everybody else that I worked with because <laughs> I'm an impossible jerk who grinds on people. Which again, not sure I can argue with that. So we appreciate the iTunes reviews. We appreciate you guys listening. We especially appreciate if you subscribe to Project Text. Subscribe, text me, and tell me to shut up. Um, any can I just tell you to shut up without? I uh, know you, you. You must pay three ninety nine a month. You want to tell me to <laughs> Anything else we want to prop up in particular? What's coming? Stories or stuff? What? Oh, it's just it's a, it's just a, we're turning on the fire hose. There's going to be a lot of stuff this week. So yeah, the the uh, they're doing a good job getting us good, good guys for interviews. I feel like the interviews are going yeah. well. Shout now that we've had this discussion, I, I wish we were getting Sean Wade this week. I think that would have been an interesting one just because yeah. of this matchup. But uh, I also, I just, I think they're going to move Wendell Robinson around. I don't think it's going to be any one guy's responsibility to try to slow him down. All right. So thanks to you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.